Hello and welcome to the RF Generation Playcast for March 2015. This is episode 12 and I am Ghost 81 This time around we have a pair of one-on-one conversations about our chosen titles for the month. Rich and Steven will discuss the adventures of Sir Daniel Fortescue in the PS1 classic Medieval, while Floyd and I take on the caped crusader himself and discuss whether Batman Arkham Origins for the PS3 and Xbox 360 is a valid entry in the Arkham saga or just a weak corporate cash-in. Spoilers are always fair game in the playcast, so if you're worried about hearing them, go play the games first. We'll wait for you. As always, you can listen to the show on Podomatic, iTunes, and YouTube, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter and give us a like on Facebook. Remember to log on to rfgeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss the incredible games we play together. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast! So hello and uh, welcome to the March 2015 edition of the Retro Podcast. I'm sure we've had a brilliant introduction by our good friend Sean, and he has let everyone know that this is episode 12, which makes this our one-year anniversary uh, on Podomatic and RF Generation. Um, We've been doing the show for 12 months, but we've actually been doing the playthrough uh, for almost two years now. Uh, but this was just something that we decided to sort of add and incorporate, and we appreciate everyone listening over the last year, and uh, had to say goodbye to a, uh, a good host, and uh, picked up my uh, current co-host now, uh, Mr. Disposed Hero. How's it going, guys? All right. So in March, we... Well, a few of us anyway, right? We had a pretty low participation this month. I don't know what it was. Maybe it's the games that we selected. A little bit of a hidden gem here that we played. Um, We played uh, Medieval in March. It's a 3D action adventure comedy slash horror game for the PlayStation that also has a little bit of puzzle logic in it. Um, it was developed by Sony Computer Entertainment Europe, uh, again, for the PlayStation, and released in North America around October of 1998. Uh, the game, of course, is available for PlayStation 1, and it's also available on the PlayStation Network, and they also did a uh, PSP uh, readaptation of this game uh, called Medieval Resurrection. Um, just a little history of the game. It uh, actually started with an independent developer in 1995. Uh, developer's name was Millennium Interactive. Um, one of the guys behind it was Chris Sorrell. Uh, he was probably most famous for the James Pond series. Have you ever played that one, Stephen? No, I think I've heard of it, but I've never played it. Yeah, yeah. I- I've-, I've seen it around, but never actually played <laughs> that series myself. Um, 
as far as Medieval is concerned, it was originally titled Dead Man Dan, which is a pretty, pretty funny name. Uh, and of course, if you've played the game or seen the game, uh, you'll notice that it's very, very, and uh, even the um, developer said it's heavily influenced by the um, the films of Tim Burton. And uh, I think that's one of the things that just kind of comes naturally when you see the game. It, um, this game, of course, as I said, um, came out in 1998, and the movie The Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, which is one of the heavy influences in this game, came out in 1993, so um, definitely a lot of influence there. Um, it was a very early 3D title um, to be released um period, I guess, with video games. I'm not really sure when the first 3D title uh, actually came out, sort of polygonal titles, but uh, this was one of the, the earlier um, ones, and uh, as we'll get into in the show, it, it kind of shows, right, Stephen? Yeah, there's some of that early 3D era awkwardness in there. So, uh, just, a, just a little bit about the history and, and why I chose this game. This is... Um, Medieval is a game that I've really wanted to play uh, with the community for a long time. Uh, I played this one as a kid. I, I, I don't remember how I first heard about the game. I, I did buy it at launch. I, and if I had to guess, knowing around the time it came out, um, it was probably a magazine review, actually, that, that, I, that I saw. I know it was pretty... Um, Internet was still pretty young at that time, and I probably didn't even have my own personal computer at the time. So um, I would say probably a magazine article. Um, the game came out to uh, actually good reviews, but for some reason has sort of been a um, um, a lost title. Um, and not not sure exactly why that is. Um, however, I, I know that uh, the title character Daniel Fortescue appears in uh, some of... Um, some other games uh, on PlayStation, namely, um, I think one of the fighting games. I can't recall the name yeah, of it. it was in that PlayStation All Stars. Yeah, game, yeah, yeah, something, something of that nature. But uh, yeah, again, this was just sort of that game that I was most looking forward to sharing. Uh, a little disappointed I didn't get to share it with a lot of people, but. Um, of the few people that I am getting to share this with, and even if it's just one person, uh, I think it I think it really makes you feel good to to know that people are always or you know will enjoy a game that you that you recommend. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that that's maybe the case here, but I, I guess we'll see. Um, go ahead and announce the participants this month. Um, we had Built Star. Uh, who's been playing with us. Um, we're actually at the second checkpoint at the time of this recording, and he has completed that. He wanted to basically, he's uh, one of our database uh, directors, and uh, he wanted to apologize for not doing as much on the database this month because he's uh, been really sucked into this game. <laughs> uh, of course, my co-host here, Steven, is playing, or has played the game. Uh, Dougley007 is playing this game, and of course, myself. Uh, so, um, Stephen, you want to give us kind of an overview of the kind of story behind the game? I think it's a pretty decent one. Yeah, so this um, the backstory is that uh, the knight, Sir Daniel Fortescue, is uh, known as being this legendary hero who stopped the evil sorcerer Zerok from taking over the land of Galamir. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it's really just all like a legend. Uh, he, he really died at the very beginning of the battle, and the stories were just embellished. Mm-hmm. So a hundred years has gone by, and Zarek has returned, and he's, you know, summoning the dead and trying to take over Galamir, and um, Fortescue has been brought back to life, and this is his big chance to redeem himself and be that become that hero that he's uh, the legends say he is. Yeah, exactly. He's sort of this false. It's sort of this false hero redemption story, right? Yeah. And um, as we see, it plays out in the opening credits. Uh, the first charge during the battle against Zarak's army, there's uh, there's arrows that are just loosed into the air, a horde of arrows, and one goes right through uh, Daniel Fortescue's eyes. So he's mm-hmm. he's taken down in the first re- mm-hmm. attack, but somehow noted as the legendary hero that uh, uh, banishes the evil wizard. It's it's kind of it's kind of odd. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is sort of, um, that case of history has been written, but you have to sort of rewrite your own personal history, and that's kind of the position you're put in. I think it's a, I think it's kind of a fascinating story. Um, it's not the typical, you know, save the princess type story, but it's more of a kind of a, a personal redemption story, and basically, um, you know, to save the town of Galamir, right? Yeah, the story is kind of a... Uh... Kind of a minimalist approach, I guess. You know, there's not not a lot of dialogue or cutscenes or anything, but uh, it's it, it's it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a few cutscenes, I guess, um, at the start of a few of the levels, right? That's mainly where the cutscenes kind of break into this game, right. and those are those are those are pretty cool um, scenes, I think, for the most part. Uh, very ominous kind of start to the levels, usually where you're kind of walking up on. Um, one of these very distinct uh, lands that the game is sort of centered around. Um, and, and we'll talk about some of those areas as we go through this. Um, but, um, you know, the game has a really nice style, in my opinion. Um, mentioned before at the start that it's sort of a comedy horror action adventure game. Think of something nutty, and, you know, I'll kind of go back to. Um, you know, like Tim Burton stuff, like, um, you think of like Beetlejuice, right? How it's just kind of, you know, it's sort of a horror story, uh, it's a ghost story, but at the same time, you know, it's, you know, it's really funny, and there's all these little, little pieces of comedy that kind of, um, you know, separate the story from something that would be, you know, scary. As I mentioned before, I think on the forums, you know, I've been playing this with my kids, and they're three and six years old, and, and they, they think it's just really awesome. They think it's just so funny, you know. Um, so um, a, a lot of that um, sort of comedy um, I just kind of wanted to talk about comes from the um, the sort of the gargoyle head statues that, that talk to you. Um, some of the people in the Hall of Heroes, and um, there's actually some pretty decent uh, voice acting in this game. Yeah, I was surprised by that. You know, this is uh, not too long after games like Resident Evil came out, which, you know, are just notorious for their terrible voice acting, and you know, yeah. we have this game, which is actually you know, pretty decent. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what kind of accent they're going for, sort of a medieval, sort of Scottish uh, accent. Yeah. but <laughs> it reminds me a lot of... Uh, the game Fable, if you've ever played that. I have not. I own that game, yeah, but the, I have not played the, it. The voices remind me a lot of that game. That would be a good playthrough sometime, <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> I think it's been mentioned before. Yeah, I think crowd. it's been suggested. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And when you go into the Hall of Heroes, there's, of course, different voices in there, too. There's some voices that sound very um, Russian, um, some that sound um, maybe African, you know, these heroes that are from, you know, different walks of life and, and different places. And so it, it makes for for an interesting game. But one of the, the funniest things about the game is how the gargoyles and uh, even the people in the Hall of Heroes, they know Daniel Fortescue's secret, right? And so they're always kind of goading him and kind of chiding him and, you know, think that he's completely hopeless. Um, you know, yet they're willing to, you know, help him out for the sake of saving the land as he's their sort of Obi-Wan Kenobi, if you will, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny, by the end of the game, yeah, at the beginning of the game, they're just, uh, you know, they have no faith in him. And then at the end, you know, they're like, well, maybe he actually will do it. <laughs> that's usually and that's like at the last level i yeah, mean you get yeah. you, you're really getting no uh you know compliments for anything you do and you're just going like man did you just did you just see all those crazy jumps i just did <laughs> so i guess that's going to segue us really nicely into talking a little bit about the gameplay um as as i mentioned at the beginning this is sort of an action adventure uh, game it has some platforming elements, right? It's got some puzzle elements um, as well, and um, you know the the controls on the game. It's you know put in nicely. It they're tedious. Um, I, I think I think some of the controls are well done, but uh, um, I, I think the sword play and things like that are are, are fairly well done uh, for a 3D game and. You know, trying to wrap around things like zombies as you run and swinging. Uh, you can kind of hit things on the run. It's kind of nice. Uh, but it, some of the other controls are, you know, like I said, a little rough, right? Yeah, it takes a little getting used to. Uh, you know, games have come a long way in the last, you know, 15 mm -hmm. or so years. And, uh, yeah, it's a little rough around the edges at times. Yeah, yeah, jumps are a little... They're a little tough, and it, it's not just um, some of the jumps are pretty far apart, and you have to hit it just right, and it seems like there's a little bit of a delay in the jump, and um, I, I know a lot of times I was probably hitting the jump button a little too early or a little too late, and there's there's a very, very fine line um, in, in terms of um, error, right, that you have to... Um, press the jump button in, especially if you're trying to run and jump, you know, at the same time. Uh, another one of, I think, complaints that I saw about the game and the people who are playing it are the camera controls. Um, they're a little rough, um, you know, of course, you know, compared to today's standards. I I didn't have a lot of problem with them. Um, I, I think some of the areas where the walking's a little tight, um, you know, especially some of the lake areas where you can fall off and fall in the, um, in the murk. And of course, when you do that, you lose a whole life bar. Um, I think it's tough there sometimes. And, and I found myself trying to adjust my camera and try just nudging on my, um, on my, uh, game pad. Uh, yeah, there were, it, it kind of depended on the level or the environment. Like some places mm -hmm. it wasn't bad, but others, it felt like I was constantly fighting with the camera to get it positioned the way I wanted it. Yeah, and especially yeah. on you know, the camera was a big factor on the uh, the platforming. Sometimes and trying to make those precise jumps. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, completely agree. Um, it it is sort of a rough game, and it's in you know in those aspects, like we said. Um, however, you know, 
I think it's one where it's it's worth you know kind of trudging through those faults um, to um, you know actually finish the game and play the game and I I feel like it, as aggravating as it is I always had that one more time feeling okay one more time let's you know I'm you know I'm ready to go nuts I'm ready to throw a controller. Uh, this is this is driving me crazy. I was right there at the end, and I missed this jump like four times, and had to start the whole level over. But at the same time, I, I kind of always feel like, well, I'll give it another go. It's not one. It's not the kind of game that I put down. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure what the reason behind that is, or if if you felt the same way about that. Mm-hmm. But you know, maybe I'm on my own here. About no, that. I felt the same way. I, I did have a couple of moments where I threw a controller and rage quit, but. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> I would come back to it like five or ten minutes later, just because I wanted to take another crack at it. Um, yeah, you know, I always kept coming back to it. Yeah, and I think it, it for me at least, I think it's a little bit the way the game is designed proportionally. I think the levels aren't exceedingly long, but they're long enough if that makes sense. So even if you do die, um, it's not like. Um, you know, you're having to start like completely over. Yeah, you're having to start the level over. But I, I would say that level times, um, if if you're good enough, most of the levels probably weren't over 15 minutes long, right? If you if you did them um, correctly. I mean, playing it for the first time, I guess. And you know, this this is my I think third playthrough of the game. Um, of course, you know, I, I know a lot more about the game and know where stuff's located, but. Um, once you kind of figure out where things are located and figure the puzzles out, the average level times are probably anywhere from 12 to 15 minutes, I would say. Uh, yeah, I think that sounds about right. I mean, this was my first time playing the game, and mm-hmm. uh, th- there were some times where I you know, just didn't know what to do, and so the levels would take longer, but I still think there probably weren't more than a couple levels that took me you know, more than half an hour. Right. So those are you know, more of the trickier ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and just something else to mention uh, at this point is um, the game is it's nice because once you complete a level, you can you can save at any time, right? Yeah, you can save any time um, on the uh, over overworld map screen. Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't save during the game, but um, you know in the middle of a level, but you definitely can um, you know save on the overhead map screen. And again, with the levels being as short as they are, um, uh, I, I found that you know sort of comforting and. Uh, Never got too aggravated. Okay, I threw a few controllers, I admit it. <laughs> but anyway, um, so we'll kind of move on and, and talk a little bit about um, Daniel Fortescue and the weapons he wielded in this game. Um, there was no lack of variety or amount of weapons in this game. I found it completely... Um, sort of uh, mind-boggling at times about how many weapons that you actually got in this game. Yeah, I was impressed. Um, <laughs> the only thing, I guess, the bows, you get like five different bows, and they're kind of like carbon copies. Um, but other mm-hmm. than that, there really is a pretty decent variety. Yeah, yeah. And the bows are, um, I guess, they're a little bit stronger, right? Yeah, I guess each uh, one some of them a little stronger. damage. And you've got the javelin too, which is another throwing weapon. I think it's the strongest of the throwing weapon. But the um, like the flaming arrows and stuff have um, have uh, 
I'm going to kick this back to my Warcraft game days, uh, have dots or damage over time. So if you hit something with a flaming arrow, uh, not only will it stick and cause damage, but it will uh, continue to sort of burn your enemy as well, which is, uh, you know, kind of a nice um, thing to have on the game, especially with some of the bosses, I think. I, I never noticed that. I don't know. Maybe I never used the flaming ar- uh, arrows, yeah. but uh, yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah, I think the magic arrows are the the best arrows, and you get your magic sword, which is your you know your best sword. But the um, um, yeah, the flaming arrows definitely have a little damage over time feature, which is which is nice uh, for some of the you know flying bosses that you have to usually hit more than once. And I'll say this: um, the targeting system on this game um, is fairly good, but can be a little frustrating at times. Um, some of the flying demons and things like that. Um, they just kind of are a continuous motion, mm-hmm. so it's really hard to like target them. It's sort of an auto-target, right? There's this little squiggly green line that just auto-targets. Yeah, I didn't even and, notice that, uh, that that's what that was until at least halfway through the game, I don't think. <laughs> but I, yeah. I wish, yeah, it would have been nice if this game had like a lock-on feature. Yeah, yeah, it would. Um, I think that's something that they definitely could have added that would have um, um, made this game a lot cooler. Um, other than swords and bows, you've also got, um, of course you've got crossbow, throwing knives, and other throwing weapons, uh, but you also have like a, um, a hammer and a club. Uh, the hammer is the, um, war hammer is sort of the, um, tougher, uh, version of the, um, of the club, but with the club you can actually light the club on fire. And carry it around, and it'll stay lit for a little while, and that will actually help you solve a few puzzles in the game, um, which, which is which is kind of cool, kind of nice that it does that. You can also you've got a move where you can hold down your, um, and I don't know, did you use this a lot where you can hold down? Uh, I think it's square, and charge up your weapon and then release it. Did you use that technique quite often? I, or no? I didn't really use it. I mean, I, I discovered it at the very beginning of the game, but yeah, I, I don't think I ever really used it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of neat, you know. When you get surrounded, sometimes you use it with the sword and with things like the um the hammer. Um, I use the hammer a lot in the uh, the the optional ant hill level, and uh, that hammer really does some really good damage to those ants, which are kind of tough to take yeah, out. I also so. use the hammer a lot in that level. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. There's also shields in the game, which are pretty cool. There's three different kinds: a copper, I think silver or iron and then there's a gold shield um the shields are neat in the in the way that um as you use them they have a certain percentage and then if you use them up they go away right yeah they'll break yeah yeah i use this shield some i found it like on levels where like they're um especially the pirate ship where there's a lot of cannonballs and stuff if you're just walking you can even be walking sideways and hold out the shield and if a cannonball hits you It'll just you won't take damage. Your shield will just take damage, and so that was a good way to make it past um, some of those tighter uh, levels where um, you know you can really conserve a lot of energy doing that. I would I would use the shield a lot on uh, just if there was like if I knew I was going to take damage somewhere or something was almost unavoidable, then yeah, I would I would use it. But other than that, I, I guess I didn't really use it a whole lot. Yeah, same here. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't something I used a lot. Uh, I fe- I f- felt like, you know, there were some enemies that shot projectiles at you, but you could kind of run and you know dodge and get close enough uh, to melee, and 
you know, you were fine. You didn't really need the shield that much. So, but, you know, still a nice thing to kind of have in the game, um, I thought, anyway. How about um, weapon power-ups? Did you buy any weapon power-ups from any of the vendors or anything like that? Um, I think the only one I remember was uh, you could power up your broadsword. Mm-hmm. The enchant, I think right. it was, yeah. And I, yeah, there, I, I, I did yeah. buy that while uh, while I was using the broadsword, but after I got the magic sword, it was... Uh, uh, yeah, I didn't uh, use the broadsword anymore. Yeah, it, it was a strange thing. I thought, you know, again, you know, you get a percentage. You start at a hundred percent, and of course, that number goes down. And I didn't realize it till this playthrough. I thought uh, what you could do is you could enchant your sword, and then you could pull out another weapon and use it, and your sword or whatever would stay enchanted. Well, that really—that's actually not the case. Um, as long as you have it enchanted, it works on like a timer. So, um, you know, it, it's not based on use or how many things you hit. It's based more on um, um, timing and how long uh, you only get a certain amount of time for it to stay enchanted. So I thought that was that was fairly neat. Um, you know, again, I, I didn't use it that much. And I can't, and I honestly can say I didn't use the vendors um, that much. I mean, I would restock some, but... Um, I feel like you get kind of a plethora of gold in the game, you know, that, that goes uh, sort of unused. You know, gold's not a very rare commodity in this game, if you will, right? Yeah, I, I found that the vendors didn't really have a whole lot to buy anyway. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just didn't really need a lot of what they had most of the time. Yeah, yeah. That was It was a nice feature, but again, I think something that could have maybe... Um, been utilized a little bit more in the game. Of course, there are special items in the game as well. Um, these were um, sort of items. I'll, I'll mention a few of them, not all. Uh, the Witch's Talisman, the Shadow Artifact, uh, the Dragon's Eyes, the Sheet Music. These are just kind of things that you pick up during the game to interact um, and um, sometimes start certain events, right? Or mainly to start certain events or, or get to different areas yeah. uh, with some of the keys and the, you know, sheet music and stuff like that. Those are like quest items. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you have any problems figuring out where to use those items or, um, you know, being your first playthrough? I don't think so. I'm looking through a list of the items now and yeah, I don't, I don't think I really had any problems with that. Mm-hmm. There was the shadow artifact and the shadow mask, and I remember um, having that shadow mask uh, in the enchanted forest and trying to run through those lasers, and, and then I was like, oh my gosh, why do I keep getting hit by these lasers? Um, and what I didn't really notice was that one of the crazy things was that you have to actually go through your list of stuff and um, actually use the item. It's not like you know you you're automatically using it because you have it on you. You actually have to interact with the item to have it um, you know work. And so it took me a while to find that sort of like pillar with that indention for that mask to go in to turn off that laser uh, and to make it to the fight with the um, you know the flying demons. Um, I I remember that distinctly the first you know few times I played the game and even did the same thing this time. Um, one of the good things about Medieval 2, uh, the sequel to this game, yes, it does have a sequel on the PlayStation, and we'll talk about that in a little while, but um, one of the things that they kind of figured out in that game was that things like keys and stuff, 
you just basically walk up to the door and it automatically uses it. And I think that was a, uh, you know, a real betterment uh, of the game. All right. The life bar in this game, it kind of odd. It went up to 300. But other than your life bar, you had uh, what were called like bottles. And so these bottles were sort of like extra lives, if you will. And you could refill those bottles by standing over these uh, sort of hot spring type green kind of enchanted springs, right? And kind of fill those up so that you would have uh, more life uh, and play throughout the game. How did you uh, How did you do with the bottles? Did you find all nine? Yeah, I did. Um, I think I had to resort to a, a walkthrough to find the one that was in uh, the hidden one in Dan's crypt. Because I didn't think to look back there, but yeah, I always kind of. Yeah. Um, uh, I think a good comparison to those would be like the energy tanks in Metroid. Uh huh. Yeah. That's, what made that's, me that's think a of. great comparison. Yeah, that's a that's a really great comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually had forgotten about the one in Dan's crypt, but um, one of my strategies as I play the game, if, if I get low on bottles, I'm going into a, a new level. What I'll do is I'll return to. I'll go back to the graveyard which is the, it's the first level after Dan's Crypt, and I'll just keep running that until I fill up all my bottles, because you can run through it really quickly, and there's two springs in that level, so you can fill up at least four bottles each run. Um, and what I did was I accidentally went into Dan's Crypt, and I was trying to run out, and I kind of ran into that wall, that hidden wall where that other bottle is, and you know how you can kind of see behind it sometimes? You know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Um, just just the way kind of the screen was or whatever. I could kind of see it, and I was like, oh, okay, this is a wall, you know, that needs to be broken, you know, by the club or the, uh, you know, the hammer or whatever. So uh, definitely uh, that that's how I uh, retrieved that. Yeah, there, was, there was another wall in a different level that I discovered that you could break. Um, mm-hmm. It was... The camera kind of clips behind it, and you can see. I think it was a secret wall, and uh, was it Pumpkin Gorge it, or whatever? I believe it was. It was one of those. Pumpkin yeah, but, yeah. That that is the hardest chalice to find in the game, in my opinion, uh, because it 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 you have to break through one wall, hidden wall, and then you go into that hidden wall, and then there's another hidden wall. Yeah. Um, and, and that was the hardest one to find. That's a good transition for us. Let's talk a little bit about the chalices. Do you want to kind of describe that and what that component of the game was? Yeah, so the chalices were sort of a collectible in the game. You, uh, in each, There was a chalice for each level, and the more enemies you killed, the more souls would fill up this chalice, and uh, if you reached 100%, you could collect the chalice, and mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the level, you, get, you would get to go to the Hall of Heroes and get some kind of new weapon or an upgrade or something like that. And um, other than that, um, the only way to get the good ending for the game is to actually collect all the chalices. There are, uh, say, I think 20 chalices, that's right, Uh, but you have to collect them all for the best ending. And it's not, hmm, I I would say it's not an extravagant, it's not a very long ending, but it's still, it's it's really kind of cool. I hope we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, it's a cool ending, and it really um, kind of pushes the story and gives it sort of, uh, kind of gives 
um, Dan his well desserts, right? <laughs> so, so it is it is kind of a, a neat ending in that regard uh, with that. I, I didn't actually see the um, original ending. I, I I was sure to get all the chalices, so I saw the good mm-hmm. ending. So I, I don't know how uh, how different they are. Okay. Uh, well, uh, spoiler. Right. <laughs> uh, the 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 only um the only difference in the good ending and the not so good ending is that in the good ending, um, well in the not so good ending you just kind of go back to rest. Okay. In the good ending, you get that final cut scene uh at the Hall of Heroes. Okay, that, that's, so that's that, pretty much what I thought it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the difference in the in the two endings. Where did you? Um, we actually um set up some achievements for this game, or I, I set up some achievements for this game. I, I thought the game played well to some achievements. There was a few kind of side quests and things like that. Um, uh, the first was the Ant Hill. That was a um, just kind of a side quest. I don't think it was one that had to be done uh, to actually finish the game, but kind of a cool side quest nonetheless. Did you have any problems finding that quest or knowing what to do when you came up upon the cauldrons? Um, no, I, uh, I found that witch's talisman early on mm-hmm. and I didn't know what it was used for at first. And then when I saw that cauldron, I tried using it and, uh, you know, that's how you activate that side quest. Right, right. And you actually use the talisman, I think one other time, uh, during yeah. the, um, the pumpkin gorge, uh, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, pumpkin serpent, pumpkin king, um, uh, quest there. I, I've heard it called Pumpkin King, and I saw it as that, and then I heard it called Pumpkin Servant, and I was like, hmm, maybe they were trying not to get sued by using Pumpkin King, which is uh, a reference, of course, to uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, the character Jack Skellington is known as the Pumpkin King, so um, maybe some of you caught that. Um, so, yep, the, the Ant Hill quest was kind of neat. Um, you go in, you get shrunk, and you go into an Ant Hill, and you're Looking for nectar for the um, for the witch, and then also you start rescuing some some awesome sounding fairies. Yeah, that's <laughs> not how I expected fairies to sound. <laughs> they 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 sound like those guys off the Wizard of Oz, the lollipop gin guys. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, they have a great voice, uh, and you know that's just a little added thing. It's kind of fun. Uh, yeah, heel is. Uh, one of those levels where you just kind of always feel lost too, you know, it's, mm. it, it's, it's, it's dark, it's tough to navigate and, uh, you just have to run around long enough to beat it, I guess. And then you've got your final battle, of course, with the ant queen, which is, you know, again, um, not tough as boss battles go, but kind of a neat battle, a lot of fun. The, the second achievement was to defeat the, uh, the pumpkin serpent, um, that was a. I I enjoyed the board more than I did the actual boss battle. <laughs> we was, can talk about that a little bit. Was that the one where you had to break open those pods and then you just yes fill that big pumpkin thing with it? Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. Yeah, it was. It's you you break open the pods. It's a it's a very short level. Um, you know you can collect the chalice there. Uh, once you open all the pods and defeat the pumpkin king, you can jump down the well and that's where the chalice is. Which is kind of neat, but uh, you know, basically, you just kind of uh, equip the crossbow and just go to town, right? I mean, there's no, there's no like with with the ant queen um, and like the stained glass demon. You know, there's these phases where you have to basically dodge or uh, you know take out ads 
uh, as far as the, the Ant Queen's concerned. But with the Pumpkin Serpent, you're just kind of, I don't know, you're just kind of wailing, right? You're just kind of firing away. It's Yeah, it was it's, a very easy fight. Yeah, but kind of cool, though. I mean, I, I like how the pumpkin sort of deteriorates as his energy goes down. Uh, uh, and, you know, kind of a neat little story there with the with the witch about, you know, growing the pumpkins and how it's taken over the garden and stuff. So, kind of neat. Um, one of the more aggravating and puzzle-driven areas in the game was the Sleeping Village. And I had a caveat, uh, which is one in the game, and it says, uh, Finish the Sleeping Village without harming any villagers. I don't know if anything bad happens to you if you harm a villager, uh, but they do tell you at the beginning of the level, do not harm any villagers. Um, did you? Were you able to complete that? Or I, I, I think so. I guess you don't really get anything for not harming the villagers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, as far as I know, I didn't harm any, and, and I really wanted to because they're pretty annoying at times. <laughs> but, uh, Even the little girls with the axes? Oh, those are, those are creepy. <laughs> <laughs> super creepy the little noise they make i can't remember what it was like la 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 oh, or something yeah. like that <laughs> yeah it's pretty creepy and i think you can you can actually hit them uh to knock them out of the way i think you could they can take a few hits but if you uh actually kill one it'll say that you've lost a soul i i don't know how that harms you but in the game but you know maybe one of our listeners can tell us or fill us in on that if they happen to know um, number four was, uh, summon and defeat the dragon. Um, again, did you have any problems with that, figuring out how to summon that, or was that fairly obvious to you? Um, yeah, I went in there in that little, little cave and it took me a, a minute and then I noticed the, the two indentations on the wall and I knew to put the, uh, whatever the, the dragon gems or whatever they were called. But Yeah, dragon's eyes, I think it was what it yeah. was. Actually, yeah, uh, dragons like on. that uh, little boss fight. Yeah, little neat. Um, it's uh, definitely different from you know the other fights. Um, and, and as the game does so well, um, you know there's like there's a lot of lore books and stuff like that inside the caves that kind of give you um, specific hints on how to defeat you know some of the bosses. Um, and kind of going back to the sleeping village, did you did you have a chance? Did you actually go into the library? Did you get to read any of the uh, History of the Village of Galamir. Yeah, I read through all those. It was kind of neat, and it gave a little synopsis of all the uh, all the people in the Hall of Heroes. I thought it was I thought it was just a really neat thing to add to the game to give it, you know, kind of an overall context, you know, and uh, just 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 kind of cool for me. Just just it really added something to the game. I know maybe not everyone feels that way as they play, and you know, it flushes it out a little bit. I, I don't. I actually don't recall anything that I read there, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it does help flesh out the, some of the characters and the backstory, you know, it's the, mm-hmm. it, it's like yeah. what happened to Zerok, um, why he's, like, how he got exiled, I think. Right. And sort of the backstory of Daniel Fortescue is sort of, uh, as far as how it's in the books, right? In the library, right. you kind of, you know, you've heard that he's kind of, championed as being the hero um of, of that war but uh, you kind of figure out how it's written and how the you know the villagers kind of honor and see him so that is um kind of a neat part of the game uh let's see the fifth achievement was save all the farmers at the haunted ruins um this is one of the tougher achievements to reach were you, were you able to do this or uh 
did you just say kind of forget it? It, it took me a few tries. Um, mm-hmm. Like the first time I, I killed the enemies around them. And then I was like, well, how do I get them down? So I stepped on that switch and it just lowered them into the fire. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that didn't work. So I actually, they're at the beginning of the level. So I just restarted the level. Yes. And yeah. uh, I tried it again. So I was like, maybe I have to cut them down. So I, I jumped up and slashed and it killed them. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. So then I was like, well, now what do I do? So I was like, well, I guess I got to put out the fire. So I eventually figured uh-huh. out to use the hammer to put the fire out. Yeah. I was able to save yeah. it. Yeah, again, I don't think it's anything that affects the game or, you know, what ending you get or anything like that. It's just a, a little touch, you know, sort of added to the game, which kind of made for a, um, you know, perfect a- achievement, if you will. Um, so so I decided to uh, do that. Uh, number six was collect all nine bottles without using the cheat. If you're unfamiliar with the cheat, of course, there's nine bottles in the game. My understanding is you can get up to 11. I'm, I'm not sure somebody can check me on that, but what you can do is you can keep, I think, replaying the graveyard, the first graveyard level, and you can keep collecting that first bottle. Um, so there, there is sort of a cheat where you can keep doing that. Um, and, um, you know, just have maximum bottles at the beginning of the game and, be super overpowered. So. Yeah, I didn't know about that. <laughs> I don't know but, why anyone wanted, would want to do that, but it might be a fun you know, way to go back and replay the game sometime. To be super sure. overpowered. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then number seven, of course, was uh, collect all twenty chalices for the best ending, which we already talked about. And of course, number eight was finish the game, uh, which you and I both did. Um, this was my again my third playthrough of the game, and. Um, haven't played it in over 10 years and pretty much to be honest enjoyed it you know as much as first two times I played it it's just one of those games I really love having in my collection and really love coming back to so but anyway um we'll kind of get your impressions as we kind of close out I think everyone knows mine's fairly (laughs) obvious (laughs) um we'll talk a little bit about the different areas in the game um, and just sort of how those were drawn up. Um, what what did you think about the different areas in the game? We talked about it some already. You know the um, the levels. You know they're not none of them. I don't think are uh, that unenjoyable. They're all pretty mm-hmm. good. There may have been one or two that I really didn't like. Yes. Um, but yeah, there's a good variety. You know, you're like you're in graveyards, you're in towns, you're in caves, you're in forests. You know, there's some really uh, you know, some really, Pirate ship. Yeah, there's some really... Uh, <laughs> an ins- some an insane asylum. <laughs> an insane asylum, a labyrinth. Um, just, you know, just a plethora of different atmospheres. Uh, um, you're out at a farm, you know, the scarecrow fields, and, uh, you know, that's one of the, the really nice touches of this game. It, the levels are not all the same. You get a very diverse um, uh, atmosphere throughout the game. It's all very uh, gothic, if you will, um, and, and has that sort of dark tone. Uh, but there there are all kinds of, of different atmospheres throughout the game, and I feel like everything really like matches up well. Like if you if you're playing the scarecrow fields, you're fighting scarecrows. You know, you know they're coming. If you're in the crystal caves, it's a cave full of crystal. And you're on a pirate ship, you're on a pirate ship, right? I mean everything just really 
meshes up and, and I think really blends well into the overall story of the game. I, I don't think I ever questioned myself as far as why am I at an insane asylum right now, you know? It just felt kind of natural. Maybe I should have questioned that, but <laughs> it, it wasn't something that, that, that I really, you know, thought. I, I never thought anything was a big stretch. You felt at home in the asylum, I take it. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> so let's talk about, uh, you said that there were a few levels that weren't your favorites. Uh, which ones were those? Well, I think what stood out was my least favorite was the ghost ship. Okay. You know, there was some really tough platforming, which we talked about before. Yes. Um, you know, you had those skeleton guys that you really couldn't kill unless you killed, like, the captain guy or the guy mm-hmm. who was, like, in charge. They would just right. keep getting back up. Right. And I really didn't like the boss fight at that level. So. Yeah, it was tedious. Yeah, so um, that, that went down as my least favorite level. Yeah, the, the ghost ship captain. Um, um, the boss fight kind of is you have a club or you use your club and you light it on fire and you fire cannons at the captain who's just kind of walking back and forth. Uh, the aiming is super tedious. You just kind of have to get lucky. And uh, every so often, every 20 seconds or so, the the skeletons, um, kind of the ads, the skeletons raise back up and you have to knock all them down again before you can start firing on the captain. Just super rinse and repeat battle, right? With That's, no kind of direct of those, aim. Um, rage quit moments for me. And, and the thing is, the level's so tough that by the time you get there, because there's some horrible, horrible platforming, jumping. I mean, there's points where you're having to jump straight down on the platforms, and you can't really see below you. You know, the timing's super off. Um, and so I think that because of that, um, you know, you get to the end of the level, and of course there's a fill-up before you get to the last guy, but of course, you know, that, that spring only does about two bottles. Um, so you kind of get to that fight and, um, you know, you, you can take quite a bit of damage, uh, from those ads, um, in that, uh, ghost ship captain battle. So for that reason, it also made my, um, list of, uh, most or least favorite, most frustrating levels. I, I do, there are some things I do like about it. Um, I do like the idea behind it. I think it's really cool that it's a ship. I like the puzzle aspect where you have to drop down to find the pieces, you know, to open the different gates and things like that. Um, and for that reason, it's not my least favorite level. Um, my, my least is the, the pools of the ancient dead. That That's my least favorite level in the game. Um, yeah. And that's the one where you have to collect the souls for death, uh, right. to, uh, for him to carry you across the river. Yeah. And it is just pure, Jumping hail. Yeah, there was some platforming uh, to be done on that one. Yeah, and you're just constantly falling in the mire. If you fall in the muck, you lose a lot. You lose an entire life. Didn't that level have the enemies that you couldn't kill with your weapons? That's correct. There's these like kind of large, kind of fat knights, and you just have to hit them with your. Um, you have to hit them with your sword and knock them off into the mire yeah. uh, for I them to die. I didn't die. even know you could kill them that way until the part where you, the game forces you to. You get kind of locked at the end of this cliff, and you have mm-hmm. to knock them off the cliff in order to for the uh, door to open back up. Oh, So I, right, I didn't know yeah. you could actually kill them until that point. So I played through yeah. most of that level just trying to avoid them. Yeah, that's when those sort of spike kind of spools chase you down the hill, right? right? Yeah. 
And and you have to you just another thing there, you have to run like frantically without knowing what's in front of you. And if you're gonna fall off something again. So, you know, that's that's kind of a confusing portion of the game. Um, but, but yeah, you have to knock them off and that's the only way you can collect the chalice by knocking all of them off. And then you have these skeletons that come out of the mud too. And they're, they have range weapons and they're hurting you and they're sort of down in the mud. So you can't reach them with your sword most of the time. Um, you know, you have to use a range weapon a lot of times on them. And as I mentioned before, targeting sometimes can be uh, a little difficult. So for that reason, that was definitely my least favorite level. But I would say, for the most part, um, y- you know, I- any level that I had frustration with or liked the least had something to do with jumping. And, um, yeah, you know, as I, we've I mentioned think before. I would agree with that. <laughs> as, as, as I mentioned before, that was probably the poorest mechanic on the game and what made it the most frustrating at times. Uh, how about favorite levels? Which ones did you especially like? Uh, one that stood out to me was the uh, Crystal Caves, actually. Oh yeah, um, it's um, it's kind of a straightforward level. Um, it's not too difficult. That's where you fight that dragon boss fight that I like. Um, it has, I actually really like the music in that level. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, just overall, I just uh, it was stood out to me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a cool fight. It's where you have like the Minotaurs too, right? right? Yeah. You got the little goblins, the pig nose little goblins that carry the torches around and steal your stuff. Uh, but you also have the uh, the minotaurs that sort of break out of the crystals. And like you said, it's a very straightforward level. I mean, you find the chalice at the very beginning of it, and you just have to make your way back to get it. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the platform or the, the puzzle in the game, it's, it's not very hard. You know, you just kind of search everything out. There's nothing really hidden. It's all kind of open uh, quick sort of easy level with a nice little uh midway through boss fight with the dragon so so yeah yeah nice level any others let's see i know there was something i like the uh kind of like the time device actually absolutely that's on my list yep yeah yeah i like that just really neat kind of puzzles you know with the clocks and stuff and figuring out how to get past uh like the little butterfly gates or whatever it was and then um toward the end having to um adjust and move the train to go to different parts. Um, I really yeah. wish that train platform didn't have a hole in around it. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> I fell in a couple times too. Trying yes. <laughs> but, but other than that, it's a, it's a really cool and uh, very well thought out level. How you felt about the, uh, the asylum grounds, the asylum grounds were, that was my favorite. Really? Yes. Okay. That was my, <laughs> Jack, Jack, was it Jack of the Green or something yeah. like that? The puzzles. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that level I like a lot because I know that level. Okay. Um, had it been had it been my first time playing that level, I, I don't think I would have said that was one of my favorites. Yeah, if that, I would probably that rank sense. that as being one of my least favorites. Okay. I just felt like okay. some of those puzzles were kind of obtuse, like. We had to like turn mm. those faces, and they kept spinning around on their own. Uh huh. Yep, they're on different timers. Yep. Yeah, so it was, it yeah. was difficult to uh, position on the way you needed to. Yeah, there, there were, that was the most frustrating like that, too, in that level. Yeah, that was the most frustrating one. I, I did. I do like how that level like only allows you a certain section, mm-hmm. and then it starts opening up more and more. Right. Um. You know the star puzzle. I really thought the um. The, the mouse and elephant puzzle was really creative. 
Um, and then the uh, the chess puzzle at the end is kind of a is a no brainer, you know that 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 was pretty easy. But but I did like the way that the chess pieces move like like normal chess pieces, though you know. So I thought that was I thought uh, that was really cool. Yeah, I, I didn't only, get that. I've never learned how to play chess, so I wondered why I couldn't move them the way I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they they actually moved um the way that that chess pieces would you know normally move. Okay, that's um, so that. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was cool and you know kind of a creative way to do a puzzle. So, all right. And then I guess the other one I had uh, down was another level that I really like is the Scarecrow Fields. Yeah, that's a good. One. I, I think to me that's one of the more beautiful levels. Um, and and why I say that I, I really like the like the devices like the granaries and the things like mm-hmm. that that you have to run through. Um, I, I like the, uh, the, those metallic robots that you have to run under their legs and then shoot the guys from the back. I think that's really cool. And, uh, I really like, you know, like finding the cog and, uh, using it on that, uh, the harvester. I thought that was cool too. I I know that you, uh, and that you were a little frustrated with the little portion of that game as far as the, the, uh, the cornfields were concerned. Uh, I got got through most of that level on my first attempt and then I died and that was, I think that was a... Yeah, when I tried it again, I, I got through it, and I, I enjoyed it much more. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering, do you think that level is at all inspired uh, by the movie Children of the Corn? With, the, with like, the cornfields and the, and the things kind of hiding in the corn, and they'll kill you if you uh, <laughs> go in? I, I, oh, I'm sure. I, I mean, I, I, I I'm sure that's I, part of it. I yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I mean... It's annoying if you if you accidentally go into the field, even if you have a toe in there. Sometimes it'll like completely kill you. Yeah. But but I'd love like the little I love like those little ominous sounds, like the little giggling, and then all of a sudden, like out of the corner of your eye, you'll catch one of those little things like hop up like really quick mm-hmm. and go back in, and it's got these long like claws, and there's just something like super creepy about that. But it's so cool. I, I think it's just a really. Uh, kind of brilliant design in the game you know and it's and it's different you know it's not something you see on every level you only see at that level and um you know i think i think that's kind of neat i I think (laughs) stepping in like corn was and and just dying i I didn't know there were actually like creatures in there so i was like i I just died from stepping into the corn (laughs) why does that kill me (laughs) yeah there's actually a tome uh that you have to read and and that tome tells you about the cornfields, yeah, and stuff. I, I think I did read it. I just, I just guess I just didn't put two and two together and realize <laughs> that it was like some mechanical thing that killed me. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I guess we could kind of move on a little bit and talk about the enemies. Um, most of them um, are kind of generic, as you, to me, is kind of. When you level up your sword or, you know, level up your weapons, you know, enemies take about the same amount to kill, you know, for every level. You know, a few mm-hmm. few good beatings with the sword and, you know, you take out most of them. Um, so I, I didn't I didn't find anything significant about the enemies. I, I, I do like how they're different. We mentioned the, the ones in the pools of radiance that you can only knock in the mire and annoying as that was, I thought that was kinda cool. Uh the crocodile men, uh where you walk in front of the the watchers or the eyeballs that come out. Those are kinda neat. Uh, yeah, those uh those actually remind me a lot of the hunters from Resident Evil. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, actually uh 
we didn't. I don't think we talked about the axe before, but actually, uh, the axe has like an alternate mm-hmm. attack where you throw it, and it kind of works like a boomerang. And yeah. I pretty much use the axe exclusively to, you know, by throwing it to kill those enemies, and it actually worked really well. Yeah, that was a good place to use it because they they would often be off. Um, they would be often be standing on like steep uh, sides where if you got if you went that far you would slide off into the mire mm-hmm. but they could just stand there and you could just hit them um, that level was a little bit annoying too there's some annoying jumps in that level I can't remember the name of it but um, and then you would also hit them sometimes and knock them off and you had to wait for them to jump back up and reappear especially if you were using like a sword I think that level that was called the lake the lake that's it yep the lake you're right how creative <laughs> But, um, yeah, like I said, I mean, um, nothing super special about the enemies. I thought they were creative, you know, neat. I like the scarecrows. Those are, those are fun, too, how they spun around, um, you know, diverse, you know. Uh, but, you know, nothing that really stood out or nothing bad about them in any way, I mean, at least in my opinion. Um, the bosses were kind of cool. Um, it was, it was kind of odd. I had written this down, but... Three out of the eight boss battles were optional. Um, you had the pumpkin um, serpent. I think that was an optional battle because I don't think you had to go all that way. It was kind of a dead end, right? I think you're right about that. Okay, okay. Um, it was kind of a dead end. Uh, the ant queen, of course, is optional. If you didn't know to use the witch's talisman at the uh, the cauldron, mm-hmm. you know you'd probably never find that battle. Um, and then the dragon, of course, was optional. Um, See, I, I kind of thought the dragon was required because that's where you get the, um, with that dragon armor that lets you, uh, walk through fire without taking damage. And I thought you needed that right. to progress through, uh, through a certain level, but I could be wrong. Well, there is a, there is a wall of fire, um, that you have to have the dragon armor to go through and not get harmed. I'm not sure you you might be able to make it through that, but you just take some pretty heavy damage, okay. and of course, um, you get uh, dot damage uh, from that as well from the burning. Uh, but I think you can get through there. I'm not absolutely sure, uh, but um, you know I could be wrong. I think you use that armor uh, at least one other time. Um, uh, it was the level that has a catapult at the end, and you know you retrieve the king's crown, and and you. Actually, the farmers. We saved the farmers. That is the haunted ruins. The haunted ruins. Yes, um, you actually um, use it in the haunted ruins too. But I think you can actually get by that part, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But um, again, I, I could be wrong there. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I was, that's just that was just what I thought, but I I could definitely be wrong too. So I guess we can move on and kind of talk about the final battle. Um, what are your uh, what are your thoughts on that? It's actually um, for those who've played the game, it's actually three separate battles, so yeah. we can kind of talk about those. I'll let you start. So it, the first part is these uh, Xerox summons these soldier guys called uh, what are they called? Fazgals. Yeah. And then from your chalice that you've been collecting or filling up throughout the game, you summon your own little army of soldiers, and they sort of fight it out, and. Uh, I didn't really do anything during that part the first time, and then the enemy soldiers ended up defeating my soldiers. But and then this right. cutscene, little cutscene place, I actually thought I had won, but then uh, <laughs> it, it turned out I had lost. And I got a game over. Right. But uh, yeah, you get that. Yeah. Um, 
that lightning thing and that the good room. lightning. Yeah, the, yeah, that's what they called it, good lightning. <laughs> and you can heal those soldiers uh, so they can uh, defeat the enemies. But at the expense of you of your using your right. life yeah. and your health to um, to actually heal them. So yeah, I didn't notice yeah. that at first. I, I was wondering why I was getting hurt, and then I eventually figured uh, it out that it was draining yeah. my health. Yeah, it's an interesting fight. I, I do like the way they incorporated the chalice mm-hmm. into the game. You know, the souls, you know, people coming to your aid. I, I thought that was a really neat kind of piece of storytelling for that, I think, um, for the game. I think those eight soldiers are the ones you basically uh, save at the uh, pools of the dead. Huh. That's, I mean, that's what I was thinking. Oh, okay, okay. I think that's kind of how it ties together. Oh, okay. You know, I never thought about that, but I, you you are probably right. Yeah, cause I think they Good use call. the same armor, and I think it's the same number of uh, soldiers okay. that you have to save. So I think those are the guys that help you. Absolutely. Great call. Yeah, it's sort of like, yeah, those collected souls are kind of odd. They're just kind of these, like, gold helmets, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you, that you collect and take to, uh, of course, uh, um, death to uh, uh, get the boat ride. So, yeah, cool. All right. Yeah, it's a it's an odd battle. Um, you, you basically heal them. They're they're sort of like a stoplight. Like green means they're good. Yellow means they're um, getting low on energy, and red means you better heal them quick. Yeah. And you know, the longer you press on your attack button, the uh, the better they heal. So you that entire fight, you're just running around. Yeah. And and the good thing about that is, if you can save them all, you get quite a bit. You get the the uh, the energy vials. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. For yeah. Each one that and survives, so, you get a yeah, energy you fill up. Yeah, which is nice because it, when you've been using all your energy and then kind of going into that final battle, um, it, it's it's really nice to get that you know kind of refill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second stage is uh, Lord Craddock. Is his name? Yeah, I didn't have really any trouble with them. I don't think. Found them no. pretty easy. Kind of running gun, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> he, he's going to chase you. <laughs> yeah, the last last two phases were, I used ranged weapons exclusively for those you know, yes. two parts, and I, I didn't really use ranged weapons a whole lot throughout the whole game. But mm-hmm. um, I had a whole everything saved up the lightning, all my arrows, magic arrows, and all that stuff, and I just used all that on those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, of course the. Um, um, Craddock is basically just sort of uh, uh, a knight on a horse, and you're just kind of yeah. running from him, dodging out of the way, and then um, you know just attacking in between when you can. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's you know it, it's it's not a very difficult fight, but um, you know kind of a neat part of the game. And then you've got your final fight against uh, Zarak, uh, which is uh, which is odd to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> He's on some kind of lizard dragon form. <laughs> Did you catch the joke about the sheep? I yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was I, I I raised an eyebrow at that one. I, I maybe we shouldn't go there. No, no. <laughs> we won't spoil it for anyone. <laughs> How about that? We'll leave something unspoiled. We won't talk about the sheep. You have to play the game to figure it out. <laughs> you could probably guess. Oh, um, so any thoughts on that battle specifically? It was it was kind of long because you could only damage him yeah. during certain uh, times. Like I think he had to uh-huh. be standing up on his hind legs or something like that. Yeah, I don't remember exactly, but yeah, most of the time he was invulnerable. 
There was just yeah. a lot of running away and uh, waiting for him to Ugh. open up. Yeah, just continuously, like, just running blindly forward. Right. Right, and then, you know, him just coming up behind you. He has this phase where he has this giant energy field, which is yeah. just kind of annoying that you have to run from. But really, like you said, I mean, you just, you basically just use ranged weapons when he uh, stands up on his hind legs. And, you know, it. it's it's not a great final boss battle. It's more of a tedious boss battle, mm-hmm. but, you know. It's cool. And even when you beat him, he's not dead, right? Uh, yeah. He has his final yeah. scene. <laughs> yeah, but then like some big rock falls on him and squishes him, so maybe that <laughs> killed him. Exactly. Maybe. You had to play part two to find out, right? Uh, I guess I will. <laughs> uh, so, we'll kind of move on uh, from the enemies and talk a little bit about the music. As I mentioned before, this... Uh, um, this game is sort of an ode to um, uh, Tim Burton, and I kind of feel like the music for this game is no exception. And you had a really good thing that you that you uh, a good way to describe the music. And I'll let you talk about that. You know, it's just music kind of. It's actually really good. It's just very subtle and atmospheric. It, it serves the game mm-hmm. really well, but I don't. I didn't find it to be memorable because it just, it doesn't really have a lot of those like catchy melodies that a game like. Castlevania or Mega Man would have, mm-hmm. um, but it's still it's still really good, just mm-hmm. more of an, in an atmospheric way, I guess. Right, it's not the kind of music that you would say, "Oh, I want to go out and buy that CD and listen to it," right? Yeah. Um, because it's very like subtle, it's very kind of dreary, um, it's not very epic. It kind of fits very well into the background mm-hmm. of the game, and it meshes well. You know, with the atmosphere, with the story, and you know, there's something to be said about that. You know, I mean, sure. I mean, I feel like um, if you're kind of going for that Danny Elfman, um, if if everybody knows, Danny Elfman was the uh, um, the guy from Oingo Boingo who um, uh, Tim Burton uses for pretty much all of his films to do the music. Um, he also, you know, did the music for Nightmare Before Christmas, and you know, of course, all. Tim's you know, big films, but um, those are sort of orchestral pieces that you can like pop in a CD player, and it's, it's ragingly beautiful, beautiful music. Yeah, kind of sad, you know, uh, and melancholy, but you know, in the same instance, really beautiful pieces. Um, I, I think that's that's what this game was going for. I don't think it quite achieved. Um, you know, legendary status, if you will, but but like you said, um, you know, just just really good, you know, good music, but nothing nothing uh, to write home about, I guess, right? Yeah, that's that sums it up. Yeah, and I'll just kind of point this out that the the music was by uh, Paul Arnold and Andrew Barnabas, and um, they're more commonly known as Bob and Barn. Um, they also did the music for Broken Sword 3, Kung Fu Chaos, and uh, Neverwinter Nights 2, Storm of Zahir. Um, and just, just to kind of point that out in case some of our listeners are maybe familiar with some of those titles and the music in them. So, one thing I wanted to kind of talk about, I wanted to talk about your opinions of the game, kind of how you felt about it, um you know, kind of where you stand, um, being someone who played it for the first time, 
And so I just kind of wanted to give you the floor on that. Yeah, I, I, I think at first glance, this, it, this game seems very kind of unremarkable, at least to me. You know, even I think up to about the first checkpoint, I uh, I really wasn't feeling it all that much. I kind of, I feel like if this game wasn't hadn't been a community playthrough, I probably wouldn't have finished it. I think I would have given mm-hmm. up somewhere in those first few levels. Um, okay. But yeah, I think after that first checkpoint, I sort of just I got over that hump and uh, I really started enjoying it. And this was uh, this past weekend, I just pretty much had you know, like uh, marathon sessions. I played through the entire game. I had a hard time putting it down. I really enjoyed it in the end. Yeah. Well, good. I, I'm really glad to hear that. I mean, anytime you, you know, you, you recommend a game to people, you know, you're always, I think my, my first feeling is one of excitement. I'm like, oh my gosh, I really want people to play this game. And then when it starts, I think you have the ultimate feeling of, wait, what if I'm the only one that likes this game? This game's a total bomb, you know, and 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 people aren't going to have fun playing it. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's maybe it's nostalgia. Um, for me, what really drew me to this game was I've always been um, a, a fan of Tim Burton's films, and I think it was very clear early on um, in the advertising for this game. Um, you know that I had read in the reviews that it was basically an homage to to his films. Um, I'm not a fan of all of his films. Uh, I'll admit that, but um, a lot of his earlier films I um, really think are wonderful. And knowing that this was that style of game, that it was sort of a mimicry of his style, um, was something that I was very attracted to and made me basically pay full price for this game when it came out. Um, I really like puzzles. I really like you games with puzzles. A lot of my Famicom stuff that I collect has, um, you know, I'm always looking for, like, great puzzle games. I, I don't think that puzzle games are as big in North America, um, you know, as they are in Japan. But um, it's something that I've always enjoyed, a really nice element. And so I felt that this game really catered to all the things I really like in a video game. And I, I really still do. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right um, when you talk about how the beginning of this game kind of starts out slow. Um, it's not, you know, fully interesting, and you kind of have to get to that first kind of checkpoint. I think things get more interesting as the game progresses. Levels get a little harder, um, and... Uh, they get more varied too. Like at the beginning, yeah. you're pretty much just running through graveyards. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. A lot of the a lot of the intro levels are very similar in style. Um I still think that boss battle with the glass demon is one of my favorites of all time. It it's not an it's not an exciting battle. It's easy. Yeah. But I love the way the guy kinda creeps around and it just sounds like broken glass when he steps. And then that final scene when you take him down and he falls to his knees and then he falls completely over and just shatters across the floor. I thought that was one of the coolest moments ever in a video game when I was, you know, when I was younger. And um, I guess, yeah, this was 98, I said. I would have been junior, I guess junior, um, first year senior in college. (laughs) First year senior. (laughs) I think I I was in middle school. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so to me that was just a just a really cool 
part of a game and, and taking down that boss, I think I was just like, I'm hooked. I, I think that that moment was kind of the hook for me. But really glad, um, you know, to share this experience with you and a few others. And uh, I'm really glad to hear you enjoyed the game. Um, uh, that makes I, me feel really I'm good. I'm not 100% sure, but I think I actually played a demo of this game. Mm-hmm. back when it first came out you know all uh-huh. the game magazines used to come with demo discs yes. um, I do believe this game did have a demo yeah, I'm pretty sure I right. played this on a demo and uh, I guess it just didn't grab me back then and you know this is a this is a game I don't think I ever would have played outside of a community playthrough and uh, now I think it's one I might revisit every few years or so I think it is yeah. I think it really is a uh, nice hidden gem for the PlayStation Good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you feel that way about it. That makes me feel really good. Um, so, you've probably played more of the library than I have. I've played some of the PlayStation library. Um, actually, I've played a, a good deal of it. But action adventure sort of platformer games like this are something I haven't played a lot of. And I wanted to get your take um, on sort of how it compares. Uh, to other sort of action adventure games or platformers of that era, you know, the PlayStation era, and we could, we could name a few and maybe uh, go about it that way. Honestly, I don't think I've really played a whole lot myself either. Um, I think 3D platformers uh, were never really my thing. Like I never played like the Spyro games and things like mm-hmm. that. I mean, I remember playing yeah. some like Crash Bandicoot, but it's Yep. Those, it's, even though it's kind of a platform, it's still so different from medieval. I think it's hard to compare mm-hmm. the two. Yeah. Um, well, what is it? Croc, I think, was one. And yeah. Um, yeah. See, I've never played that one. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I did. I think. I guess one game that comes to mind is like Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. And uh, yep. I do think control-wise and camera-wise, I think this game is better than Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I, mm-hmm. my my experience with the very first Tomb Raider is very limited, but uh, so that's mine how as I well. Remember it, but um, yeah, yeah, I I'm probably not the best person to ask on that because I <laughs> haven't really played a lot of those 3D platformers myself either. But, yeah, um, I mean, there was like games like Resident Evil as well, you know, that were sort of that, yeah. you know, 3D platforming, but it wasn't, you know, those those games you you didn't do any sort of platforming as far as jumping, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's I think Resident Metal Evil Metal Gear Solid, more, uh, no, a little more yeah. straightforward in that way, at least uh, in, in as far as gameplay goes. Um, yeah, I guess two games that kind of reminded me of. Did you ever play Nightmare Creatures? Uh, I, I know of it, but I've never played it. Okay. It, it's sort of that same thing. Sort of platformy, t- bad jumping mechanic, uh, kind of 3D, you know, gothic style. It reminds me of that a bit. And the other game it reminds me a little bit of is uh, uh, Legacy of Kane, Soul Reaver. I don't know if you've played that one no, either. I think that might be another one that I just played a demo of. But yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably a very good comparison, thinking about it. Uh, even though I, yeah. I admire it. I don't have much experience with that game, but... Uh, yeah, I, sort of that same atmosphere, like, right. you know, undead thing, puzzles and that thing to figure out. Um, but I would say, like, game games like Legacy of Kane are much more serious. The right. puzzles are, um, you know, more serious. You're not just finding runes and throwing them into a matching colored hand like you do on right. uh, Medieval. Um, so, I, I do like... I do like the challenge of the puzzles in Medieval, but 
I also like the fact that they're not overly difficult, you know, um, like you said, you even figured out how to use the witch's talisman, you know, the, the dragon's eyes and things like that. I mean, it's, you know, there's puzzles in there, but they're, you know, like I said, they're subtle. They're not overly difficult. And I think it makes the game kind of refreshing and fun. And I think it in a way kind of stands out on its own as far as, you know, um, the, the other sort of 3d adventure games of that time. And, um, you know, for that reason, it's, you know, again, you know, I just think it's a great game, but yeah, I'm not, you know. like I said, I'm not, I've never been the biggest fan of like 3d platformers, but yeah. I, I really enjoyed this game. So I think that says something. Yeah. I, I'm the same way. I'm, it's one of my biggest, um, um, complaints and gripes about the N64 mm-hmm. and the things that I don't like is just, I really dislike the 3d platforming, uh, on that system. And, you know, um, for, for me to like, like you said, for me to like something the way I do medieval, that, that kind of says a lot about the game. Uh, I, I thought it's well put together and just, you know, really well done. Um, kind of stands the test of time for me at least. Um, just kind of some final closing thoughts. I just wanted to mention that, um, this game was sort of rushed out. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I think we hear this more and more and more games we play and more research we do. You know, games like Kid Icarus were rushed out. But uh, there was actually some additional levels they wanted to do. Um, if, if you remember from the game, there's this little worm that pops out of his eye every once in a while, out of his skull. Do mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I remember, you remember that. Uh, apparently, what they had intended to add to the game was a level where you actually controlled that worm. It did some sort of, I guess, puzzle solving or platforming, which would have been interesting. I don't know how that would have fit. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying uh, to imagine how that would have worked. And I, <laughs> I don't know. But I did want to mention it. And we've also talked a little bit about the sequel. I know uh, um, Stephen has gotten in touch with me, and we're trying to work out, trying to find him a copy of Medieval 2, if I can find one at a good price. I will surely help you out and send it your way. Yeah, um yeah, no problem. Uh, Medieval 2, I guess the sequel, was uh, released in 2000, uh, two years after the original. Um, just to kind of give you a, just a short plot summary of the game, um, what, I, I won't give any spoilers away, but because uh, I know you hadn't played it, um, but um, what happens is uh, Zarok's spellbook is discovered uh, by an evildoer in London. This happens like, I want to say like 500 years later. Uh, from the original uh, game. Uh, Fortescue is again, this guy finds a spell book, and Fortescue is again resurrected accidentally and kind of runs into a professor, kind of scholarly guy, um, a guy that is uh, basically in the know about the supernatural, and um, he's the one that sort of helps um, Fortescue out. There is no Hall of Heroes in this game, but there is still chalice collecting, collecting of souls for the chalice, and uh, instead the professor upgrades your weapons. There's a few more modern weapons than there were in the original game, so um, that's sort of something to look forward to. Um, I will tell you this. Um, Mr. Fortescue has a love interest in the game this time around, and you also get an appearance by Jack the Ripper, which is a sort of su- small subplot in the game, and it makes for an interesting bend in the story, which uh, you know I won't give away. But uh, sound interesting? Yeah, you know, I actually um, 
right after I finished the first Medieval, I went on YouTube and checked out a little bit of gameplay of the, the sequel just to see if it was, you know, pretty much the same game, just you know, mm-hmm. more of the same, really. But uh, yeah, I found out that the game actually takes place in London in 1886, which is yes. just like another recently released game made by Sony. Or uh, uh-huh. not made by Sony, but, you know, it's a Sony game on a Sony console. Uh-huh. And uh, I wonder if there's a, I wonder if that's sort of a deliberate nod or a tie-in in some way. What game would you be discussing? Uh, or the talking Order about? 1886. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, The Order 1886. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I wonder if that time has something to do. Um, of course, don't have the PlayStation 4 yet, <laughs> so. Uh, not very familiar with the game. Uh but but I, I I have heard the buzz around the I, game. I, I've played it, and you know you mentioned uh, Jack the Ripper in Medieval Two. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, Jack the Ripper is mentioned in the Order as well. And um, yeah, it just kind of makes me wonder if there is possibly any connection. Yeah, might need yeah. to play Medieval Two to find out. <laughs> well, I think I haven't played it in so long, and, and haven't played the other game certainly, so I wouldn't know. But uh, yeah, it definitely was a sort of a fascinating. Uh, time in history, so um, and, and something that I think that um, even as grotesque as that moment in history was, I think it's something that um, a, a lot of people, um, you know, want to know more about. I know that my wife and I, when uh, when we got engaged, we were in London when we got engaged, and one of the things we did uh, over in London, as touristy as this sounds, we did the Jack the Ripper walking tour one night, and so we visited all the places where all the uh, strange occurrences happened. Is uh, as cryptic romantic. as that sounds, <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> and what's even more romantic is after we got engaged a few days later, we went to eat in that same district to celebrate. <laughs> Not for that reason, but because uh, if you've ever been to London and you like Indian food, go to Brick Road. That's a fantastic place to get it. But I'm, I'm getting off topic here, but. Uh, <laughs> anyway, well, Stephen, I again, I appreciate you playing the game. Do you have any sort of final thoughts or anything that you know we didn't mention that you'd like to add? Uh, I think we pretty much covered it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. like I said, I'm I'm really glad this game was chosen because I probably would have never played it otherwise, and um, I really enjoyed it. Well, good. Again, glad to hear that. And uh, everyone else, thanks for joining us. If you haven't checked out Medieval, I do hope that this is a game. If you're listening to this. Uh, podcast. I, I hope it's one that you'll consider putting in your library and at least checking out. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised and have a lot of fun with it. Um, well, uh, next month uh, is April, of course, and no April Fools, but we will be playing um, a classic on the Nintendo 64. Um, and I'll let Steven tell you what that is. Yeah, it's going to be Paper Mario. Sort of a spiritual sequel in ways to uh, Super Mario RPG on Super mm-hmm. Nintendo. Uh, yep. Yeah, sort of a mashup of Mario platforming and RPG mechanics. And, uh, should be fun. Yep, and even even though it's on the N64, I am looking very forward to playing this game. I, I definitely <laughs> loved uh, Super Mario RPG, and uh, I'll go ahead and admit, I've already started playing... And I'm really digging it. Uh, you and I talked about this. I had to kind of slow myself down, right? You were like, dude, don't play too much of it because <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll get too far away from it before we talk about it. Or, yeah. you know, we don't, we certainly, we play these early because we have to, because we podcast, but uh, we, we certainly don't want to um, 
you know, burn ourselves out before the month starts. So, but anyway, yeah, thanks, Stephen. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. And uh, again, please join us next month for uh, Paper Mario. Thanks. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. had this pretty much a long time obsession with Batman actually I um I remember my father took me to see the Tim Burton Batman movie in 1989 when it came out for my birthday that's a cool that's a cool present for for a birthday yeah it's it's a memory that is very special to me and a movie that is still one of my favorites to this day I love that movie I think it in many ways, it doesn't really hold up, but I can probably quote the whole script. It's just one of those kind of movies to me. So, And I used to collect comics, and I think like a third of my collection was Batman. And I just ooh, love Batman. So I was a big fan of um, Arkham Asylum and a big fan of Arkham City. And I was really excited to play our game for March, our modern game for March, which was Batman Arkham Origins. So, Floyd, have you played Arkham Asylum and Arkham City? I did play Arkham Asylum back in 2012 or 2013. I think that was when uh, Krabby was still involved in, in these things. Um that was, oh, that's right. I yeah. actually forgot that one of our earliest playthroughs before this was whole, uh, a whole team thing. Before it was like was official, just, yeah. Right, think, uh, Krabby just throwing out games for people to play together, mm-hmm. and Arkham Asylum was one of those early titles. That's yep. right. And Yeah, that was fun. Um, it's uh, That was my first Batman game, and I don't have a, as rich of a history with with the franchise as you do but i remember watching the uh the animated shows as kids or as a kid sorry and like when the dark knight series came out i I watched all of those movies so even if it's not something as near and dear to me as it is to you i still have a lot of uh appreciation for uh for batman so yeah like i said uh arkham asylum was my first game and i was really impressed by it i thought you know it's it's just going to be a superhero game, so what what uh, what can I expect out of it? Just you know, probably decent combat and you know, su- like superhero you know machoism. But it was it didn't really have any of that. I mean, it had well, it had good combat for sure, but it was right. just a fun uh, like romp. <laughs> right, and just to clarify, you did not you have not played Arkham City, the second game in the series. No, I have not. I've okay. Only- only played Asylum and uh, and this. Okay, I would um I would highly recommend it. Uh, okay, 
just just based on liking asylum and uh i know we both have like relatively positive feelings on origins mm-hmm. which we're about to talk about um yeah i would highly recommend to you and to pretty much anybody who likes video games to go play arkham city because it's amazing but we're here to talk about Arkham Origins, which again was our modern playthrough game uh, on RFGeneration.com for March of 2015. So I just want to give a shout out to all our participants for the month, which was myself, uh, Floyd, who I'm speaking to right now, uh, Ray Doe, who was a really uh, in-depth participant and shared a lot of information about the game. So I wanted to uh, spend a, I wanted to send a special shout out to Raido or Raidu or however yeah, he, he pronounces found, it. He uh, found a couple funny little bugs. Yeah, he found some bugs and shared pictures of those. And he also shared some good descriptions of the optional bosses, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, really played out the game a lot more than even I did. I, I must confess, I really only played the story mission, but there's a lot of optional content in this game, and uh, Raido uh, shared a lot of that with us, so we appreciate that. Also participating uh, is Dougley007 and Engineer Mike. It doesn't look like either of those gentlemen will finish the game, but if they do... Uh, good luck, and we appreciate everybody who signed up and played the game with us this month. I think uh, I think Mike said he lost interest in the game because he's he's got uh, criminal girls invite only going on on the side, and I think that's uh, um, probably appealing to him just a little bit more. Yeah, I don't have any comment on that because I don't know anything about that game, but I can identify with wanting to play a sexy anime-based Vita game over anything else at any given time. So I think, yeah, if he said, you know, you want to play this quirky, niche type game, I'll go for it. Right, exactly. So, uh, But that's where we are. So Arkham Origins was, um, it's the third game in the Arkham saga, And I'm reluctant to call it a trilogy because what happened was the developer Rocksteady Games made uh, this great game called Arkham Asylum, which kind of just burst onto the scene. And then they followed it up with the sequel, Arkham City, which was everything that was awesome about Arkham Asylum, just a hundred times better. Like they improved on it in every way. It's everything you want from a sequel. And then... Warner Brothers decided to basically make another Batman Arkham game, but Rocksteady didn't was not interested at the time. So what is it? Because doesn't Warner Bros own uh, DC at this point? Right, they own the IP. So oh, okay, they so they kind of had dibs. Right, right. So they're they're looking to hopefully not annualize, but at least you know cash in with another sequel. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things, I, again, cash-in is kind of a buzzword, and we're going to talk about that. Like, is, it, is that really what this is? Right. But just to clarify, this game was not developed by Rocksteady, who, you know, developed the superb first two games in the saga. This uh, Origins came out in October 2013, and, you know, it's generally regarded as a decent game in the series, but nowhere near as good 
as the first two and doesn't really innovate or improve in any way. And one of the things we could start off by talking about is the story. The stories of the first two games kind of had these interweaving plots, and I, I, I got to admit, I don't remember them extremely well, but I, will, I can say for sure that the story in Arkham Origins is paper thin at best. Uh, basically, what you have is a setup where the Black Mask is hiring uh, eight assassins to kill Batman on Christmas Eve. What you find out is that it's actually the Joker posing as Bat as Black Mask, and it just becomes another Joker story. Um, and that's basically it. The construct of the eight assassins being your boss battles is pretty cool, but beyond that, it just becomes another Joker story. Um, Floyd, did you have any any thoughts on that? Like, were you cool with the story, or did you want more from it, or and and? When when you have a game that has origins in the name, you, you're you're gonna think that this is gonna be about how Batman became the Batman, or um, you know at least what was the um, you know instigating situation that caused Gotham and and uh, you know Arkham and, and Blackgate to succumb to you know, the evil forces of, of Joker and, and, you know, his, his band of, of, uh, villains. But I think this game sort of serves more as like a justification as to why the Joker is in Arkham Asylum in the first game. Yeah. And I kind of, I feel like the, what you're saying about how Batman becomes Batman, that's not really there. And that was something that was kind of advertised in mm-hmm. it like before in in the pre-release cycle of this game it was kind of like oh this is going to be a amateurish like r- you know rough around the edges kind of batman he's like you know more spunky or whatever and no like not really he's just you know he's just normal batman he says some things that maybe he's not like so sure of himself like there's a couple instances where i felt like oh okay that's what they meant by you know it's he's a, he's a not so established batman the only other thing that you have is is that in the in the universe in the fiction um a lot of the npcs are saying things like yo i actually saw the batman no you didn't he's just a legend like batman's not established in the world. He's not world. like well known. Right, yeah. exactly. He's still like this urban myth kind of thing. But um yeah, I don't I I don't think as far as it being an origin story and 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 on one hand it's like what what are they going to do? Have you play as Bruce Wayne the child and, you know, have a sequence where you go to the theater with your parents or <laughs> like um I was kind of hoping <laughs> it would read did that. Yeah, no, I I was hoping it would follow more like like the Batman year one comics where Batman's kind of like messing up and like experimenting with guns and stuff. You know, there's some weird stuff in the comics that Mm -hmm. go into his origins. In the end, basically, you're playing Batman origins, but you're you're playing as Batman, the same Batman as was in the other games. Yeah. Um, So go ahead. Um, I think the only other origin we have in this game is uh, Harley Quinn. She wasn't she the um, like psychiatric person in Blackgate. 
Yes. And that, that was actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of my, probably my favorite like side threads in the, in the story was how the, the scenes where the Joker is explaining his, how he's like found his match in Batman and, and that brief sequence where you actually play as the Joker while you're talking to uh, Harley, whatever her real name is before she becomes Harley Quinn. I can't remember. That was a really cool sequence, actually, and I'm glad you brought that up because I don't want to just beat up on this game for being like a watered-down version of the previous game. So, yeah, I no, like that a lot. it's definitely not watered-down. I mean, it, it has the same, uh, like, meat as the other Arkham games, but I can see why it's not as highly regarded as the other two. Um, and we're talking about um, the, the, the sort of Harley Quinn origin, right? So the Joker kind of manipulated her in a way oh yeah i mean it's obviously it's obvious in this game that she's impressionable and Mm -hmm. and he's taking advantage of her yeah he kind of seduced her to the dark side (laughs) yeah pretty much um i i did like the dialogue of that scene but i was a little even though i enjoyed the combat that kind of came after that cut scene i i didn't really want to have to go through that big fight sequence because I couldn't um, really pay attention to how how the Joker was coercing Harley you know I I thought Very they had true. a really good they had a really good setup and um, you know just to sort of put it behind an action scene even if it was like all scripted and you couldn't take damage on anything but it kind of took away from uh, at least I found it interesting because like I had never really heard of Harley Quinn in, until um, uh, Arkham Asylum because I'd never really followed the comics or or the I think she's in the TV show too, right? Right. Yeah, I haven't hadn't really followed it in in a number of years, so I was out of touch, and I kind of did want to know how she became this, you know, like henchman to the Joker. Right, right, and I guess that can bring us to our next topic of conversation, which is the presentation, and. You're you're talking about sound design there, and there is um, I actually I don't like playing games with subtitles, so I actually they default to on when you start playing the game, and I actually turned them off at one point, but then I found that like the sound mixing was such that things would be going on and and people would be talking, and you wouldn't be able to hear the people talking, so I actually had to turn the subtitles back on. Um, which I'm, you know, it is what it is, but I'm not, that's not how I prefer to play games like this. Um, Also the graphics. Um, I actually, I played uh, Arkham Asylum and City around the times of their releases. So I, 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 they weren't fresh in my mind. So I went back and looked at some footage of those games and I will tell you, the graphics are way, way, way better in those games. Really? And okay. Yeah. And I feel like in Origins, the whole it's Christmas Eve, it's winter thing, they kind of use that as a, a way to cover up like bland environments. And there were some things that I saw, like I actually mentioned, I mentioned on the forum that I was seeing some things that look like PS2-esque, which would be like a car covered with snow that had like such a, such a low polygon count that it just looked like, 
you know just, a, yeah yeah boxy snow and I, right. I noticed that too i mean like character models were uh were really good looking and and uh buildings looked good too but all the snow just looked like blocky you know yeah gray I actually smudges. i was watching a review of the game and 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 the reviewer noted like that it was christmas eve and there was like christmas decorations everywhere and he, he there was like a couple seconds of footage where you can see a snowman and the snowman's like what should be like rounded uh, segments of a snowman. They look like octagon. They look like three stop signs stacked on each other. Oh, really? Like it was really bad looking. I mean, so, I, I totally understand that that's something that people are probably going to miss or, or not even like notice. But the like this was released on uh, what PC, 316, PS3, right? So correct. those are all very powerful platforms. Like right. They, there's no reason they they could have they should have skimped. Right. Exactly. Well, I, I mean, yes. In in my opinion, that's that's kind of what I'm like saying. Like, I just mean but like okay, like maybe a, a a really octagon type snowman is fine, but like the snow on the ground could have looked better. Um. So in the other the the last thing I want to mention in the in the presentation is that um this was kind of a big deal in that. The original voice cast, which was largely the voice cast from the animated series that you mentioned, um, which was uh, Kevin Conroy as Batman and Mark Hamill as the Joker, um, they are renowned for their mm -hmm. voice work uh, in that animated series as well as the first two games. Um, but in Origins, they were replaced... Um, by Roger Craig Smith as Batman, and he's done a lot of voice work in a lot of other video games and cartoons. And this other guy, I, I've never heard of him before, Troy Baker. Yeah, he's um, a, he, he must be a new guy on the scene. He must be some, yeah, an up-and-comer. I mean, we wish him the best because he did a really good job as the Joker. Um, I... What, what what was your I'm initial say I wasn't reaction to finding out that Mark Hamill wasn't the Joker? You know what? I think it was something that I probably heard about it back in the day and didn't care because I knew that Rocksteady wasn't doing the game. And then you started hearing, okay, like Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy aren't going to be in it. This game is going to be horrible. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think it's one of those you, you just had like throwaway a throwaway thought at that news and said, okay, well, this is obviously I think, yeah, just going to be... I, I had the same sort of initial thought. It was that, like, I kind of tossed it aside because it didn't have Mark Hamill. And for some reason, I really like, like, the classic villains. Like, I really like Mark Hamill as the voice of the Joker, and I really like, um... Oh, man. Uh, Jack Nicholson in, uh... In, in the older live action oh, movies yeah yeah again the, one of my favorite movies ever mm -hmm. so i can't argue with you there um but yeah i felt i felt like in origins that um the new voice cast actually was just a really good job. like i didn't right i didn't have any complaints i think troy baker did his best um to to be a blend of the Mark Hamill Joker while also like adding his own flair to it. And Roger Craig Smith as, as Batman and Bruce Wayne, he, he just did just fine. I really have no complaints. For the most part, Troy Baker pulled off a pretty good Mark Hamill, I think. And, but there were times where y y you knew um, that it wasn't Mark Hamill doing the voice. I found, uh, 
like Roger Craig Smith as Batman, pretty close to what I remember the cartoon sounding like. So yeah. yeah. I'm happy about that. Um, what do you think about the open world? Because I Asylum was uh, was that like condensed uh, setting to to the, just the asylum grounds, and um, Arkham City was the first foray into open world in in the Batman series. Right. Well, this this perfect uh, transition into yeah. our next segment, which is going to be gameplay. So it's it's weird for 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 you not having played City. If if I would just explain that, like Origins is basically City. 1.5 that you know seems what i to be mean the general like, consensus yeah r- right so they it, it is more of the mm-hmm. open world feel that was was present in city and i do like the the parts of the game that are in the open world but i i found myself um gliding and just waiting for that R1 icon to pop up and not caring where it was so long as it was in Same front here. of me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I hardly ever like ran on the ground. Uh, um, I was always like gliding or, or, or hookshotting across or I actually spent a lot of time just fast traveling. Now, you see, that's that's funny. I didn't I didn't fast travel at all because I was too lazy to um, decode the guard towers to open I think the fast I only travel decoded, locations. Well, there's the one mandatory one that you have, and then I, and then I think right, I decoded right. like two of them. Oh, okay. I only did the first one that you had to do. I, I, I didn't think the world was big enough to justify having to do that when just flying around and, like I said, as soon as the R1 icon comes up, grapple and then fast grapple and you're just like mm-hmm. launching yourself through the, fast the world grapple was good which is um but i just i just yes think yeah it's not that uh i didn't like the grapple mechanics or or traveling um like by gliding and all that it's just that the the um it, like gotham felt so empty yeah and that's that's one of the like major mainstream complaints about this game is that the story justification is that it's New Year, or I'm sorry, Christmas Eve, and the citizens are under curfew, so there's nobody on the streets except for the thugs that you have to fight. But meanwhile, that gives you an open world game where there's really no mm-hmm. world. Like I'm not expecting it's just open like emptiness, GTA levels of population density, but at least in the beginning of the game, before they impose that curfew, at least to have. I don't know, some people walking around with shopping bags or something, right? Make it give the place a right. little bit of life. Right. Minor exactly. complaint. I mean, it's it's purely um, superficial, but I think in, in an open world game, you want there to be some sort of feeling of a world. Right. So now we, we talked about the uh, grapple, which is probably your most useful gadget for the outside world. But when you're in... I was going to call them dungeons, but when you're in the, the buildings where you actually have to tackle your story elements or find the next boss battle, you'll get more use out of all of the mm-hmm. new gadgets. And again, a lot of people commented, this is an origin story, and yet he has new gadgets. That's just one of those weird things that, you know, it's in, in real life, this game came out, came out after the old game, so... They gotta add something. Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe um, as a way to defend Arkham Origins, you could just say that 
these weapons were were decommissioned after this game. <laughs> there you go. That's it. He discontinued them. Uh, so just just to run down the list of new gadgets for Arkham Origins, we had the remote grapple, which is the same as the grapple, only you can grapple it to two mm-hmm. things. So, for example, if you find two anchor points, you can create a tightrope. Or, more importantly, you can uh, grapple to a bad guy and then grapple a propane tank to him and make him explode, which won't kill him somehow. Because video games. Or you can grapple... To, because, or you can grapple two enemies together kind and bonk their heads them, yeah. together. It's right. Um, the other new uh, additions are the glue grenade, which is really cool, which lets you uh, deal with some environmental obstacles, but also lets you obviously just shoot glue at a bad guy, which is pretty much the same thing as Spider-Man's mm-hmm. web attack in the Spider-Man games. Uh, then you have the shock gloves, which are shockingly overpowered yes. once oh, you yeah. get them. And I really just kind of <laughs> leaned on them to kind of just buzz my way through the the combat sequences mm-hmm. later in the game. And lastly, we have the evidence scanner, which I we, we should probably just put that aside for a second because that's a totally different game. That was, yeah, like it had its own game within uh, a game there. situation. Right, right. So what were your... Um, did you have any like favorite gadgets, least favorite gadgets, stuff you leaned on or stuff you didn't really use at all? Like were you using that concussion blaster thing at all? Like I there were some things I I didn't even use the sonic batarang one time in the entire game for example. Um I didn't use yeah, I didn't use the sonic batarang. I I only used the remote control batarang when I had to. Um, right, same here. Cuz it's a pain yeah. in the ass. I mean, like once yep. I finally learned how to how to fly around with that thing, it was kind of fun, but the learning curve on that is so huge. Um, right. I towards the end of the game, I I use the uh, the oh, glue grenade a little bit and the concussion bomb. Um, I I, I use the the um, what was it like the uh, the scrambler or the disruptor quite a bit though. Oh, yeah, that was... See, now these side things, like the disruptor, of course I use it when you had to because you can only hack certain mm-hmm. things after you use a disruptor on them. But I I had these like kind of moments where I said, oh, yeah, I could use a disruptor to d- disable guns before I get into a mm-hmm. fracas here. And that's, you know, that's a good thing to do. But I only remembered to do it like oh, two okay. times. So I actually... I did use the glue bombs a lot. If I saw a group of dudes and was ready to engage them, I would like glue mm-hmm. bomb one of them to just slow them down. And um, I also, like I said, once you get the shock gloves, it kind of breaks the combat system because it's the the combat system, which we can talk about real quick, is a brawler style. It's a little bit of a beat em up. Beat em up is exactly what it is um you have an attack and you have a a parry or is it what's the word Just evade yeah, dodge or, or whatever Con- counter counter thank you very much um so yeah you are you have a main attack and a counter and you have to basically when you see an enemy have like a spidey sense uh icon over his head you hit the counter button cuz he's about to take a swing at you so you're you're punching, 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 and then you counter when you see that little, hey, I'm going to punch you icon over the, the guy's head. And it gives the game 
uh, it gives a combat a kind of a flow if you Mm -hmm. do it right. And you can really tell when you do it wrong because the screen goes blurry for a second. Sort of like Batman uh, getting whacked upside the head, right? Yeah, and you you will get whacked upside the head, and you can almost feel it when he when you when you get hit with mm-hmm. a lead pipe or something. It's it's pretty uh, shocking the way it takes you out of the flow. Like, and that's something again. They kind of just lifted this entire combat system yeah. from the previous games. It's it's largely yeah, the they, same. There was no innovation um, to the combat. I mean, but it was it was solid enough that I don't think they really had to improve on it. Yeah, that's fair, and. Um, you know that it's one of those things where you can kind of go through attacking and, yeah. and countering for the uh, a large majority of the game, and then towards about halfway through and towards the end, more they start sprinkling different enemy types and different ways to mm-hmm. dodge. For example, an enemy that has a knife, you have to handle yeah. differently. And enemies with guns, and and then your heavy enemies with armor. You have to tackle them all in different ways. Some some combat scenarios I found were kind of messy and a little bit like, oh, I think there's about three too many guys here to yeah, make this work. Yeah, I, I often um, felt um, like overwhelmed because I was outnumbered. Right, right. Before before we go into that, I just want to. Uh, I guess I want to praise um, the combat in, in the Arkham games for uh, having a good flow to them, but also being simple enough. Because um, a lot of games sort of would do a spin off of that. Like uh, I'm thinking about Remember Me, which let which let oh, you wow, make yeah, your I... own uh, sort of uh, Batman esque combos, and and it almost turned into yeah, like a, game... a fighting game with the combos you'd have to pull off. Yeah, remember me, man. That that game confounded me. They should call it <laughs> confound me because it was uh they had so many good ideas in that game and man, I hated that game. I loved I loved it and I hated it. I would have pl- I would have played it if it was only the um the memory uh remix stuff yeah exactly but you're right this the your point being that the batman system is really good and Mm -hmm. other developers are stealing it left and right which is you know when when somebody does something really good that's what that's what you do like i don't Um, mind that it was just button mashing all the time but they they put in moments where you couldn't just rely on button mashing where you had to you know, jump or counter or, or stun enemies. Right. It's, it's like button mash plus, right? Like you can't just button mash. You have to at bare minimum learn to look at the cues, Mm -hmm. uh, from the bad guys. Um, so yeah, that, that brings us to the shock gloves. Let's, let's circle back around to those, those babies. Cause so basically what they are is a power item where you have um, like a charge up and a cool down. Yeah. But man, once they're active, the combat system is thrown out the window and you're just smashing yeah. every enemy, no matter what they're doing, mm-hmm. no matter what enemy type they are, and just plowing through them and literally like flying across large environments to connect with them. Like the way it's programmed, you just hit the button and, and you're rubber you banded tw- to the next enemy. Yes, yeah, it's, you're it's, 20 feet away. It's just from like whiplash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. For me, this is for me. It's a it was a good thing because 
like I was thinking about the Uncharted games when I was playing this where the combat scenario started to get a little old to me by a certain point in the game. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, here's another 15 guys I got to fight. Like I, I get it. I, I, and not that I didn't want to do it anymore. I know it's, I know what I signed up for. It's part of the game, yeah. but I actually, I love the shot gloves because they just made everything go a little bit quicker mm-hmm. and made me feel like super powered and just, I think that's kind of the point. Dudes. Um, like yeah. she, uh, before we go on, just a little context to the shot gloves is you, fu- um, when you beat electrocutioner, which is a really underwhelming scene in the game. Oh, I love it though. You think you're in for a boss fight and you, what do you do? You just punch him yeah. or and yeah. He's, and he's down. <laughs> um, like it's cool at the same time as being underwhelming. Cause I love that kind of stuff because it, it just defies your expectations. Yeah. Um, so you get them from, uh, from him later in the game not the first electrocutioner scene right right yes and then they kind of get integrated into uh into side quests and and story mechanics where you have to power electrical devices Uh, right but yeah they they definitely do break the game because you you can totally not dodge or avoid text at all just rely on that attack button the whole time Right, and um, we should mention the uh, upgrade system at this point. Like every modern game that comes out nowadays, there are RPG mechanics, and I think, Floyd, you've written about this on rfgeneration.com. People should go check out your article on how RPG mechanics are so prevalent in games now. And, um, you know, you'd be I think developers would be foolish to not use these um, some kind of progression system. They, some they, kind of they leveling do have their, their merits point. and they, they're not totally out of place in games, but I mean, they kind of do, they do incentivize you to um, go out of your way to, to get into more combat scenes. Right now I felt, I did feel that this system was not as robust as I would have liked to have been. What, what I did was just level I leveled the heck out of both types of shields so I would take less damage. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I got the shot gloves, I leveled the shot gloves so that they would power up quicker and cool down slower. And that's basically what I used. That's all, all I of my... did pretty much. <laughs> okay. So I, I, I think go. I upgraded a few like stealth takedowns or something. They were like, what were they called? Like auxiliary upgrades or, or something like that. Right. There was, um, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact name. There's, there's like three segments yeah. of upgrades that you could do. I, um, I improved the Batarang stun effect. So I did use that as mostly like crowd control. Okay, um, like the quick tap uh, yeah. L, L2 and... Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that was good because then eventually you could upgrade it to throw more than one at a time and mm-hmm. and knock out, not not knock out, but stun a couple guys yeah. at once before you started fighting. Um, yeah, so that was cool. And so, as we mentioned with the story, you, you're basically getting these eight uh, assassins coming after you and that's very convenient because that that gives you your boss battles a lot of them were optional but we had a lot of that were in the main story so i guess i'll ask you first floyd who were some of your highlights as far as boss fights and if if you have a favorite and or a least favorite uh, i'd love to hear about it uh okay i really enjoyed the copperhead fight 
just for ah, you stole mine. Uh, but it's it's got such a good um like flow to it. You know, it's like you have all those like fake copperheads attacking you. Right. So, the whole thing is that she's drugged you with her venom and you're hallucinating, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And they kind of did this with Scarecrow in the earlier games. Yeah. So I oh, guess this that's is kind of where it felt the, so familiar. Yeah, this is kind of the analog to to that. Um, I would argue done better in the earlier games, but this was pretty cool. Again, a little bit more like gritty and small rather than this like massive scale hallucination where they had these like set pieces and environments. Like you're just in a room fighting her and she's messing with your head basically. Yeah. Um, I found it a little bit challenging, but it was, it was a good challenge because we had to, um, I found it as a good preparation for the fights that would come later in the prison. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so just to like that scene really uh nailed in the like the flow that you have to have in combat. Uh I also liked the two of the three Bane fights. Because I mean Okay. Uh what what I liked about Bane was that you feel you feel pretty like helpless against him. But it it's um it's kinda of where where Batman shows his more cunning side. We can right. I you let you speaking of which I actually got a little snagged on the very last one, which is where you you can't damage Bane in the last fight. He's super roided out on oh, Venom, yeah. which is the drug that he's addicted to. And uh you have to use the environment to hide from him and uh sneak around him and knock him into electrified walls and everything. It's a it's a good concept. I wonder if either it's not Either it wasn't a great execution or I just wasn't good at it. I actually had to put the game down for the night night when I was doing it. Yeah, because I just couldn't get the hang of how to uh, sneak up on him or trigger some of the sequences where you could damage him. But but when I did get it, it worked well and I enjoyed it. I I, I found that fight very weird at first because you have that super roided out Bane who's looking for you in vents and stuff. But the whole time up until then had been just like, you know, head on combat. So, you know, I thought, okay, I'll just run up to him and, you know, lay a few punches on him and run away or whatever. Right. But that doesn't work. And um, uh, when I realized that I had to stealth on him, I think a few times I didn't get the prompt to uh, do the stealth takedown on him. So I don't know if that was me doing something wrong or, or if the game not registering. But uh, I think I came down to one little sliver of health and i beat him so and it was on my first try so it was kind of kind of nice to beat to beat a boss on my first try on that game right and that's always good when that happens because it's it's more immersive when you can actually just do it and not die and have this trial and error Mm -hmm. situation going on so that's that's really cool and actually now that you're talking about it um that boss battle is kind of more akin to the more creative boss battles of the previous games. Yeah. And I'm not saying there was no creativity in, in these boss battles. I actually, my favorite was also Copperhead. I also liked the Firefly boss battle. Firefly was good because it, it was such a departure from every other boss fight. Yeah, exactly. That that was uh, that was basically a bunch of action sequences strung together, mm-hmm. uh, which which was pretty cool. But I'm gonna throw out my least favorite 
boss fight, which was Death Deathstroke. Hmm, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually, I, t- I talked to a bunch of, not a bunch, I talked to a few of my friends and coworkers who have played this game, and I told them, like, oh, I'm stuck on the Deathstroke uh battle and they were like oh man that's the worst like everybody and everybody knows like this is a real pain in the pain in the behind uh yeah. boss battle how how did you end up beating death deathstroke by the skin of my teeth basically i just kept trying and trying and trying again i didn't do anything special to finally beat him i guess i just kind of focused and was able to pick up on know, his pattern yeah, yeah. kind of you and you have to get the timing right. I mean, maybe that's what it is, you know. There's a there's a a real challenge to getting the exact timing right, but it's one of these things where you know, it's a modern game. We're used to just like contextual button presses, but they happen like in a twitch way that is almost kind of an old school thing mm-hmm. that it's like, okay, now I have to remember this pattern, remember this sequence do the contextual button presses with the button prompts and I have to have perfect timing. So yeah, I think it was like just a mix of designs that didn't come together well, but once you got through it, you know, well, well, kudos to you for beating that boss the way you're supposed to. Yeah. I played it on easy anyway, but how did you beat him? That Um, was different. I, I use the, um, the grapple on him a lot. Oh, okay. I, I wouldn't say I use it a lot, but yeah, you can use that to, to um, just reel him in and just lay a few punches on him. Yeah, absolutely. No, I did do that. So, like, but that's pretty I, much all I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, like, if um, <laughs> I, I just relied on, on that grappling or grapple gun, and uh, like 90% of the time he dodges it, but eventually you do land a good shot and you reel him in and lay a few punches on him, and some of them would stun him so you can wail on him some more so yeah i totally i cheated through that fight but it took me two and a half hours to beat him so i don't feel bad at all oh wow yeah so i couldn't pick up on the pattern right yeah no it was it was a pain um but anyway just to wrap up the to wrap up the boss fights and also the gameplay at large we should mention that with the, the the Bane boss fight that we were talking about, the last one is actually really the final boss of the game, because when you confront the Joker, you are faced with basically some quick time events and then a cutscene and then roll credits. I kind of just saw this coming, so I wasn't like super disappointed with it. I had this kind of cynical reaction to it, like, oh, that's that's how games are now. Like this is. Like, what are you going to do? You can't kill the Joker. You you know, they already did the Joker on Venom thing in one of the previous games. That was so. the first one, I think. Asylum, right? Yeah. I, I So I, I guess it makes sense that they didn't have this all-out battle with the Joker and that it was Bane instead. Um, did you have any thoughts on that or disappointment or you thought it was appropriate? or? I thought it was a little bit, like, too convenient that once you beat Bane, Joker's, like, in the next room. Okay. Um, like, because this is in Blackgate and it's supposed to be a huge super prison and he's just in the next room. <laughs> right, right. Um, I didn't really, like, likewise, I didn't really mind that uh, it was more of a, like, quick time event type final battle. Uh, I did like, and 
I don't know. I, th- I thought it was funny that when you wail on him, Joker like ragdolls around. Yeah, I think some of the like. <laughs> I think he's supposed to be like super animated and super exaggerated. Right. And I think there's like a silliness in general to when Batman is just pummel. Like there's an actual attack known as pummel. Right. Mm-hmm. And and you're just wailing left and right on on whatever enemy it happens to be. And there's something like goofy about it. It but, felt really goofy. Yeah. Yeah. But you, hey, we got to remember Batman's a comic book character. You know, he lends himself to c- cartoons and comics I think and so, action yeah, in to- this way. But um, yeah, I get what you're saying about the Joker just being this kind of like almost I like you said, rag dolly cartoon character. Yeah, I think they could have handled the last scene a little better, um, at least because he basically had nearly escaped the jail. So they could have, um, you know, sort of apprehended him in, mo- in a more like cinematic or interesting way. But yeah, it's really a minor complaint. I told yeah I'm with you on every aspect of what you're saying you know like it's a minor complaint and it's just you know dodge three or four of his attacks and then pummel him and then dodge three or four attacks and pummel him right oh well so now I mean we've kind of gotten the nuts and bolts out of the way uh of the gameplay and graphics and all that cool stuff but I wanted to get to kind of the larger picture to wrap up this segment, which is like, is Batman Arkham Origins just another corporate cash in? Is it uh, a worthy entry in the Arkham series? Is it indicative of a larger problem in the industry where games like you know, Bioshock 2, God of War Ascension, Gears of War Judgment, where the publisher, even if the original developer is not involved, doesn't want to be involved, is working on something else, will take it upon themselves to make, uh, you know, a watered down or not as expertly crafted sequel to a game. Uh, Or furthermore, is it something that becomes in danger of being annualized like Assassin's Creed or Call of Duty or, God forbid, like Tony Hawk or something? (laughs) Uh, I mean, let's just get this out of the way first. I don't think they intentionally went in saying, let's make a watered-down version of the Arkham games. Um, No, but... I think that kind of just happened. Um, And a lot lot of studios were involved in in making this. I mean, if you just look at the... uh, you know, all the team logos before the game boots up. So it's not like there weren't many people involved. Um, but definitely when when uh, something gets annualized, and I think that there's um, that scene at the very end after the credits that teases at the possibility of there maybe kind of sort of being a, a sequel or spinoff or something. Yeah, I guess it would have to be a spin-off because you're talking about this being a prequel. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, theoretically it would go into Asylum, but you're you're right. They could they could retcon it into some kind of weird spin-off. You're absolutely right. Yeah. right. Um they could do Origins Part 2. Right, yeah. Um so. But I I think whenever you um annualize or, or serialize something, um that's sort of just like the marketing aspect of it i mean right I, i'm no that's the main point i mean this is this is that's my question is is this simply a cash grab or a cash in or ha- however you want to put it 
or like I, I guess I'm asking like a larger picture question is how do these things how does Arkham Origins factor into the grand scheme of like as the as Arkham Origins as a work of art can we look at it in an isolated fashion and say it's it's a it's a decent game if if you played it in a vacuum you'd never played any other Batman game you would probably think it was amazing but having played Asylum and City you're saying, well, this is just a watered-down version of Asylum and City. It's a straight-to-video sequel mm-hmm. to these games where the production value is not as good, the story is not as good, the graphics and sound, like everything is just kind of not quite there, which is uh, people were commenting on this on, yeah. on the forum thread for the game. Like it's just a not-quite-Arkham City, I think is the way uh, Raidu put it, mm-hmm. which is perfect, you know what I mean? I I do agree with everyone saying that it doesn't really um, meet the hype of the other Arkham games, and like it's just not as as solid as as the other Arkham games. But I mean, it kind of it does what it set out to do, and it's about how the Joker ended up in Arkham Asylum, right? Um, right. and f- like you have to give it credit for that. But what you're saying, like, and that's just looking at it in a vacuum, Um, but looking at annualization of games, I think it definitely um, may have more cons than it does have pros. You know, if you if you hit on a good formula, you, you know, work with it, but don't, you know, don't ride it in, in until there's nothing left in it. I think is right. what I'm trying to say. And, and I think that's what's happening with, I mean, there's so many um, Assassin's Creed games and Ubisoft um, has said that they will not invest in a, fran- in, a, in a game if they can't turn it into a franchise. Right. And why would you? Because you can make Assassin's Creed games until they stop making money and you can keep making Call of Duty games until they stop making money. And, you know, they these games sell gazillions of copies. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, why wouldn't you just keep making the same game over and over again? I, I, I think that is the argument from the other side is just why not? It Like financially, right. it's working. Right. Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you have something that's successful, why why mess with it? Mm hmm. But not the, not to sound like elitist or anything, but at the end of the day, or you know, at the end of of a bunch of annualized entries, you're going to be playing <laughs> the same thing. Absolutely, absolutely, and and for better or for worse, that's what we have here, with the exception of the um, the detective sequences, which we didn't really talk about. But basically, that's you go into a crime scene and you get button prompts to kind of recreate. Well, you you save that for last scene. for a reason because I think you have uh, <laughs> so you, you have a very um, interesting opinion on the detective vision. Oh, I was actually talking about like the detective scenarios, oh, but yeah, we okay. we can talk about detective vision no, no, too. We'll, that's we'll, actually we'll do the detective. Like no, yeah. Thank you for covering for me. I almost forgot both of those things, so we can definitely touch on those. I just want to say that, like, as far as this game being a cash in or a like a step towards annualization, there's something to be said for that. But I also just want to just want to quickly put out there that I would recommend this game to anybody who played the first two games and liked them. Don't go in there with a lot of expectations. Just if you want to play another one of these Batman games, 
grab it because they they put together a decent game here. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking and I couldn't stop thinking about Bioshock 2 because it's basically the same situation where the publisher wanted to put a sequel to this game. The original developer was not involved. And you know what? I, I liked Bioshock 2. I thought it was a pretty cool game. Mm-hmm. I thought it was not as good as Bioshock, but they took what Bioshock did and kind of threw out a, a, a sequel to it well, with it a was, little bit of improvement, some back steps. But if, if anything, like if that's what could happen with future Batman games, if there will be future Batman games, is there will be sort of like side stories, you know, like while right. this is happening and in Blackgate. Right? You mean you mean other Batman games that are not Rocksteady because Rocksteady's doing Arkham Knight, so the world will get another Rocksteady oh, Batman okay. game, I for- which is I forgot about Arkham Knight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we will have that, but the, there is still the question: Will will there be other side games? Will Warner Brothers farm out more mm-hmm. spinoffs and sequels? I mean, let's not forget there were the the portable games. They they made Vita and 3DS uh, right. versions of this game. So, um, but even, I guess even Rocksteady could put out like a a side story game, couldn't they? They could. I mean, I guess they, you know, they only have so much time and money, though. Right. That's the, that's the whole thing. And I just think because, like, Bioshock 2 was sort of what happened as Rapture was going to pot, right? Yeah. And uh, it was almost like... Well, no, Bioshock 2 is what happened way after. Oh, was it way after? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. I think you're thinking of the DLC of Infinite. That was before... Yeah, that's so. Um, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, Bioshock Two. Like, I'm talking about the actual like retail sequel to Bioshock, which you know, again was was a a, a further continuation of a story that Ken Levine believed was over. So that's not what he wanted to tackle. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, we're digressing into Bioshock. I don't want to do that, but <laughs> um. Let's let's move on to the that other bigger picture situation that you helped me remember to talk about, which which is Detective Vision. It's it's used um basically like to cut to the chase, it's used in a good way and in a bad way. Right? Right. So what Detective Vision is, and and this is something that was in the, the previous game, so I'm not slamming Warner Brothers for like throwing this into a game and and the bigger point is that this is in pretty much every modern game now. As a matter of fact, I'm playing the next community playthrough game, which is Tomb Raider, and it has a version of this in it. Oh, does it? You know? oh, okay. Yeah. So so what Detective Vision is, you hit a button, the world goes kind of into, if you've ever seen the movie Predator, it's not exactly heat vision, but it's kind of this like... Kind of looks like that. Ultra colorful, like contrasty um, vision where you can see things, for example, that you can latch onto or a vent cover that you can pull down to crawl into the vent or you can actually see your enemies through the walls mm-hmm. and know where they are. So my question is, is this like stripping down this, all the challenge? Yeah, is like, this ta- like, I think I asked you in a in a PM, is this taking the game away from the gamer? And I had to kind of explain what I meant by that. I think, but, yeah, cuz it's a really weird way to put the question. Yeah, um, but so what I mean is like 
and the example I, I gave you in the PM is if you were playing a Zelda game and you could click a button that would change the color of the screen so that um, a, 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 a hook shot point would just show up and it would say, hey, here, hook your hook shot to this and you can jump off this gap mm-hmm. or this wall is weak. You can hit it with a bomb and walk through it like people would be up in arms about that. Yeah. So now we just take it for granted. It's in like every modern game that we have some kind of vision, like the last of us had it, you last know, of us like, had it with, with a uh, listen mode and, and they, their right. justification was that Joel has super good hearing. Right. right. That's, that's really <laughs> cheesy. That's, that's a cop out. And kind of like the, the real world implica- the, the real world implication of it is you're not, you're not a human you're not in the game you're a human being playing a game so you have to make some concessions for gameplay right Mm -hmm. but like something that literally tells you shoot your grappling hook here right like i i don't know how you don't just mean like the r1 prompts you mean when when a gargoyle or whatever would light up orange exactly exactly or when like again when you see a vent cover and it's and it literally says shoot your grapple here and pull this down Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i i don't know like it and again it's a big picture problem it's not just with the batman games it's in a ton of games uh nowadays and i'm just wondering like where are we going with this um I don't know. I'm asking a big like yeah, it's, it's, it's a big question. sweeping question. Um, right. In the context of Batman, does it like to use your words take the game away from the player? Yes and no, right? Okay. Because I mean, uh, why I say that is, I would, and maybe this is only because I like put a self-imposed limitation on the way I played. If I couldn't find the vent that I was supposed to crawl through, or, um. I couldn't find the next objective, couldn't find the wall that I'm supposed to blow up because everything is sort of like black and blue and gray and and dark. A lot of things just sort of blend into the background. So if I if like five minutes have passed and I still have no idea where to go next, you know, click on detective vision. Oh, okay, that that's where I'm supposed to go. So um, I almost just used it as a hint when I was totally, totally stuck. But yeah, you can you can play the whole game in that and that that will definitely strip all challenge away from you and it'll just you know do this grapple there right yeah maybe i guess to play devil's advocate there are some enemies that have the uh the heat vision goggles so with batman and his you know technological arsenal to have detective vision it's kind of fair you know, and he is Batman. I mean, you don't want to go into a situation, or you don't want to develop a game where you play as Batman and you're some weakling who's going to get his butt kicked every time he mm-hmm. goes into a situation. He's the world's greatest detective, and he's in superior physical strength, and he's a scientist. Right. <laughs> so, you, I, I guess I'm with it. In, in like contextually to play as Batman, I. Uh, I'm I'm okay with it, and that's my answer to my question. However, and we'll talk about in, this in the more, grand scheme of of games, right? Right, and, and we'll we'll talk about this more next month when we play Tomb Raider. 
But Tomb Raider has a system um, called survival instincts, which is basically detective vision, but you actually can only see certain things with it at first. And it's actually integrated into that game's progression and leveling up system where you integrate more things into the into the view of what it shows you as right. you go along. So I think it's handled a lot better in in other games, Tomb Raider just as an example. Mm-hmm. And again, we'll talk we're playing that game next month, so, so we'll we'll touch on that, yeah. Yeah, so come on, log on to rfgeneration.com and play Tomb Raider with us. But anyway, <laughs> uh I think we can wrap up the segment here, Floyd. I mean, unless you have any Last thoughts. I'm pretty good. I just want to give it a, a a recommendation of yes, play it. Thumbs up. Everything else. So long as you understand that this was not developed by Rocksteady, who developed the first two games. You're going to get a little bit of a lesser version of the previous game. But if you just want another Batman game with the same kind of mechanics, flying around the city, using the gadgets, beating up dudes, and you know, creative but not as creative boss fights, then go for it. If you can get this game cheap, I absolutely recommend it. And I would say the same thing. I'd also, yeah, I'd also recommend it. Um, I think, because you got me thinking about, like, the broader spectrum of gaming and, like, the gaming community. I think we'll often have, as gamers, we'll often have high expectations and, you know, lofty, desires and something like the batman series of games are just i think they're just meant to be fun and you know enjoyed and more of like a more of like a pastime they're not trying to say anything or and i think a lot of games you know will get um uh criticized for not being fancy enough or for being too fancy and i think you know, Batman kind of just hits that nice medium ground where it's, it does what it sets out to do when it's a fun game to play. Right. I think I think playing and liking Arkham Origins is kind of like listening to and liking that band that is kind of like if you have like a favorite band and then they haven't put out an album in a while, but there's this kind of ripoff band that you also <laughs> like a- that you just like, you kind of like them cause they sound like the other band that you like, you know, like that's, that's what this is. That is a, a good comparison of what this game is to its other two predecessors. It's, I mean, it is Batman and it is an Arkham game, but it it's in sort of, you know, it doesn't, it plays like all the other Arkham games, but it doesn't feel like the other Arkham games. So, but all that being said, but, it's still it's still worth checking out and still worth playing. All right, cool. Well, Floyd, thanks for joining me for this discussion of Arkham Origins. And thank you, everyone who participated and checked out our playthrough and played the game, even if you didn't finish it because you were playing some weird anime, sexy (laughs) girls in jail game on your Vita, which thumbs up to that. Um, So, yeah, come check us out on RFGeneration.com. And next month we're going to talk about Tomb Raider, which I am so stoked on because that's like one of my favorite games ever. So, uh, Floyd, I'll talk to you next month, man. All right. See you next month.
Well, that's going to wrap it up for this entry of the Playcast. Thank you for listening, and a very special thank you to everyone who joined the playthroughs. Remember to visit rfgeneration.com to participate in our playthroughs, discuss the games, or leave feedback about this podcast. Join us next month in our playthroughs for April 2015, in which Steven will be hosting Paper Mario for the Nintendo 64! And Floyd will be hosting one of my favorite games of the last generation, the 2013 reboot of Tomb Raider. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Playcast. (laughs) 